This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors found. gonna die. Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! All is lost. Cries of agony. Scourge! Unity breeds power. Power is life. Biohazard. I'm Riva DePala. The voice of Rebecca Chambers. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. I'm Ed Smarin, the voice of Barry Burton. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Greetings from the podcast panel and this evening's special guest, multi-award winning Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. Tonight, we discuss with Michelle Resident Evil Revelations presenting our exclusive interview. We also have extensive coverage of Capcom's showcasing of Resident Evil Remaster HD and Revelations 2 from the Tokyo Game Show, together with all the latest news. Podcast File 1 draws to a close with excerpts from exclusive site interviews with Barry Burton voice actor Ed Smarin and Rebecca Chambers voice actress Reva DePaola and other famous names from the world of Resident Evil, including Catherine Disher. And the evening survival horror audio experience concludes with reviews and questions submitted by the Crimson Head Elder community. And then finally, the fiercely fought podcast quiz. I now hand over to Far One host, Neptune. First bit of news, which has happened fairly recently, is the very bizarre announcement that Resident Evil is going onto the small screen with the Arclay TV series. So, does everyone have a view on that? I actually emailed... Who are you? I'm George Trevor. Bloody hell. That felt like an interrogation there. (laughs) I'm George Trevor. Hi, guys. I emailed Sean Nabert, the creator, prior to the, the podcast, just to see if there was any further updates. Uh, no, no further update from the initial concept trailer that we got, didn't we? Which was taking excerpts from other survival horror themes and putting it all together in a montage, I think, to just to give a feel of, of what he's trying to get across. Did, did, did you other guys see that? Uh, this is Crimson Elder. Yeah, I saw the, the concept trailer. Yeah, I think you know my opinion from the forums. A bit sceptical about it. After the movies, and I, I'm kind of going to wait and see, but right now I'm not liking the idea, to be honest. We, we've all had our fingers burnt by the movies, so I think that scepticism is understandable. I'm not a big fan about not having the characters in it. This is the Batman. Uh, someone's actually contacted Capcom, and apparently Capcom have nothing to do with this. So it's potentially a Resident Evil-inspired series rather than officially licensed product. We know what's happened with the Capcom endorsed films, so whether that's going to have any major bearing on the actual quality. Well, I don't know. I mean, we don't know a lot about it yet. I don't even know if it's going to be green lit. It might just literally be something they've pitched. But 
obviously, if it does get made, I don't think we can sort of take it seriously as part of the canon. I think it just needs to stand on its own hmm. two feet, be its own thing. I don't think it has to have characters from the series in it. We can have references and cameos, but I don't think we need to try and copy events that have gone down in the games. Just let it stand on its own two feet. I think that's one of the things that was mo- the, the most contentious point with you, Crimson, wasn't it? The fact that it wasn't going to go for a, quite a strict script that, that stayed yeah. true to the actual video game narrative. Well, that's my problem with it. It's like we've got the movies, which obviously don't follow the games. Now we're going to get a TV show, which doesn't follow the games. When are we actually going to get something that does follow the games? Because I want to see something like that. Yeah, I agree. But I think if we are, if we if we ever do see a retelling of the first game, for example, I think it should be as a Capcom-made CG movie. Yeah. Because you could use the exact same mansion aesthetic perfectly. You could use the voice actors from the games. Almost one step beyond what they did with Incubate for Resident Evil 4. Instead of doing a sequel to Damnation, they can do a a retelling of the first game. Albert Wesker 187, what was your view? For me, when I saw the trailer, it kind of looked promising, but like you all said, it's skepticism because I've seen the Resident Evil movies that came out, and you know how that was. They were freaking horrible. I did not really, it didn't move me, like, at all. I mean, I don't know. It's a creative idea, but at the same time, I do not like it myself, personally. Can I throw a spanner in the works, as I like to do? Mm. How about this? Leave the Raccoon City bit alone and have everything focused on Stoneville. You, then then you've got the freedom to do whatever you like. Well, that's a smart idea, yeah, because the Stoneville scenario offers the same opportunity for an outbreak narrative and there's obviously the link with raccoon city uh, that mountain location is is going to be ideal for a twin Peaks style isolation theme it would be useful to point out here that the arcade town of stoneville is referenced in the file robert's note authored by our favorite gunmaker robert kendo and is one of the x-files on the n64 version of resident evil 2 which i still consider to be the definitive version it's located in the kendo gun shop and it's addressed to our friend barry burton and details robert's plan of retreat to stoneville in the arcade mountains as he exasperates about the entire city being infested with zombies By the time I noticed something was wrong, the entire city was infested with zombies. I mean, for for me, I think if it does get made, it's going to be quite low budget. I think it should concentrate on a story that runs parallel to the build-up to the mansion incident about this reporter, our protagonist, whoever he's going to be. And as time goes on, he maybe sort of starts to uncover, you know, the conspiracy that Umbrella might be involved and that the police chief might be corrupt. But I don't think we need to see inside the mansion and see tyrants and hunters running around on a TV budget. Mm. I just think it would be nice if you could sort of imply that there's all these sort of horrors going on in this mansion, but we don't actually have to see any of them. You know, it should be a lot of it should be left to the viewer's imagination. You can still have plenty of nods to the games. Like, you know, you can have an episode where the reporter goes to the RPD and you know, Chief Irons can brush him off or you could even have Wesker yeah. Wesker physically threaten him if yeah, he's well, getting too close to uncovering things, you know. Well, I like that idea, actually, of the, the ca- ca- cameo appearances. I mean, I see I'm with Crimson Elder in the sense that I'm a traditionist and I adore remake to the point where I want to see it realised in all types of media as closely as they can. But at the end of the day, it's a video game narrative. It's not going to work on television. I think that's the thing that I, I have to come to terms with. But then to dip, dip into the canon 
and to see those characters as as cameos or just one-off episodes would would be ideal. Reporter investigating murders, crime scenes. You know, he might have the odd run in with a Cerberus in the woods or something, but I don't think we really need to see tyrants and snakes and giant spiders or anything like that. As as we know in the in, in the Resident Evil canon, at the at this point, the uh, the hospital, the abandoned hospital in the Arclay mountain range, was also under occupancy from Dorothy and Axeman, so there could be use of that. It ties in quite nicely with Alicia, doesn't it? I don't get many visitors around here. I hear the city's in quite a state right about now. Well, there is an old road through these woods that leads to the neighboring town. It's easy to get lost, I'm afraid. Let me show you the way. Let's hope no one gets hurt. It's not like there's a decent hospital around here, after all. <laughs> hospital? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, they've already done that kind of story with the reporter who went missing, didn't they, for that particular mm. scenario. So something like that would work well, I think. And it can run parallel to the events of the games. You know, people can take it as seriously as they want without it causing uproar in the community. You yeah. can either count it as your own personal canon or you don't have to. No big deal. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Biohazard Heavenly Island hmm. and the reaction to that cover I have to be honest I, I don't know too much about it but I do know that cover it's well, detestable <laughs> <laughs> it has, has that image stayed with you it has time? it has but does, it, does anyone have any theories about all this well I love the principle and I'm hoping that I'm going to love the product um, you know starting on a positive note the idea of a manga working as a prelude promotion to a Resident Evil title I think it's fantastic I think it's a, a great way to bring the two genres together but with Maho I Desire the last time this was affected you know there was no integral interesting significant or, or, or valuable addition or ingredient that it brought into the into the actual game so 
Um, if Capcom can get the quality of the actual product right this time, then I'm very much for it. I am initially heartened by the Claire Redfield art for this that I saw on Naoki Serizawa's official Twitter feed. I agree with George Trevor. I mean, I like the idea that, uh, you know, they're releasing a manga. And when they announced it, I mean, despite seeing the screenshot of the manga, but the fact that they're actually releasing one actually got me very excited. And I really, I'm really looking forward to reading what's going to be in the manga. Yeah, I mean, one other thing about it is you'd, you'd have to assume the Heavenly Island is the same island from Revelations 2. And from what we've seen of Revelations 2, it certainly doesn't look like a an 18 to 30s holiday <laughs> destination. No. I've read several RE comics and they literally have nothing to do with the games. I suppose if you're a fan of the manga and things like that, you might enjoy it. But for someone like myself who's looking for it to relate, and I, I didn't get much much use out of them. Well, this, this has been the biggest disappointment with all these, like Mahara Desire, and less so Prelude to the Full, but Mahara Desire, I mean, it, it's links to the actual game, and the payoff was pitiful, really. And when they have followed the video games quite closely, I think they have got it right, because some of the older Wildstorm comics, I think, that follow the game narrative quite closely are fantastic. It's when they depart from the game narrative. The thing about this one, though, even though it looks shocking from what we've seen so far, it it might be the most important in that it might tell us the complete backstory of the setting of Revelations 2. And Claire is in it as well. So this comic could tell us like 75% of the backstory for Revelations 2, whereas Maharo Desire at the end of the day. Its only real connection to 6 was the introduction of the C-virus and the uh, Lepetitsa test subject. Heavenly, that Heavenly comic, like you said, it might explain 75% of the backstory to Revelations 2. And now that we have Claire coming back to the game, you know, maybe there's a backstory to it, and that's why that's another reason that I was excited to hear about the comic. It might explain a little bit about what's going on within that heavenly place that for Claire is at. Yeah. Yeah, all I'm looking for in this kind of thing is just something to give us a bit of backstory for when we're actually playing the game, and I think that'd be great. And now, for a short excerpt from the Crimson Head Elder exclusive interview with Catherine Disher, voice actress for Jill Valentine in Resident Evil 3. I can imagine they would have been quite a lot of screaming involved in the quiet. Well, and, and, and the funny thing to me, this was another, I clearly remember this, there were um, three or four guys from Japan who did not speak English in the room at all times when we were doing this, and they were on their laptops, they were, I guess, the game creators and the writer, and they had a translator there, yes. and then we had our voice director, and I forget who else was in the room, it was quite a crowded, uh, behind the glass, it, was, it looked quite crowded. And um, I was very aware when we got to the damage, because they also asked for fighting noises, you know, um, and I was sort of very aware that I didn't want to come off sounding as though I were doing some, you know, bad martial arts impressions in front of these Japanese guys. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to go, hi you know, I was tying myself in knots trying to figure out noises that I could make that didn't sound like I was making fun of the whole genre, and yeah. uh, so and they were shaking their heads, and the translator would say, you know, more like this, and okay. and so finally I said, well, I kind of gestured and said, well, you, you know, may, in a nice way, I didn't sort yeah. of say, well, you show me how <laughs> I was, you please, you know, uh, give me a hint, yeah, and so one by one they went down the line, and they all did classic martial arts, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, oh my god. And because uh, I said to 
voice director privately, you know, I'm a bit worried about this. And when we looked at each other and just kind of laughed. So then I, I realized, okay, that's what they want. And so then I stood there and did, you know, I don't know. I, I was, it was embarrassing at first. And I, I got over it once I realized that is what they wanted. That brings us nicely on to the Tokyo Game Show. And that announced two new games. We start with the Revelations 2 concept teaser trailer, which I thought was excellent. What's, what's everyone's uh, general hopes and aspirations, if you like, for, for Revelations 2? Well, hi, Josh, over here. I, I you don't really have to not... do that each time. <laughs> <laughs> After the initial discussion of the bikini-clad lady, I, I felt I'd been absent for a while. Um, so yeah, I I love the idea that there that you know you have a concept trailer at least you know get it right m- make the distinction rather than we had once with Revelations where we had a trailer which featured a zombie and and a, and a face off between Chris and Jill which never actually took place yeah. in the actual game. I loved it. It was great fun, wasn't it, to spot the little the little clues, some not as obvious as others. It it, it certainly inspired and, and excited me about the the atmosphere and the gameplay that we possibly would get initial thoughts on that trailer yeah fantastic yeah same here i mean i really like the concert trailer as well myself i mean i like the ideas that you have to pick and choose everything and when they said there's a lot of stuff you have to find on the game you need to pay attention to a little details i like the concept trailer as well it was really really interesting and when they showed the longer version of the concept trailer you it left you to get any more tips and all that from the game yeah, like wesker you said when you actually watch the gameplay for uh, Rev 2, you, you can spot little uh, elements to the beginning of the series. There's certain little things in there they they will notice, like the, the herb, for instance, and things like that. And when I was watching earlier, I seen several things, which they, they dropped the little clues in there. And that's another thing, too. I mean, if you look at the gameplay from the Revelations 2 trailer, what I liked as well, that it, it looks like it's going to have kind of like a Resident Evil Remake Zero, because you're working with two people on it, you and, and Moira. And I actually found that pretty interesting as well when I saw the gameplay. I'd say the gameplay, it looks very similar to First Revelations. I believe they've got rid of the uh, all the extra sort of melee moves you could do in, in Resident Evil 6, sliding and the rolling around. I don't think you can do that. I just hope they're not trying to oversaturate us with the horror elements as well. I mean, within the first few screens of Claire getting out of a cell, there's all these bodies hanging from the ceiling with, from hooks. And it's like, well, is that relevant or is it just a sort of cheap horror gimmick? Mm. Yeah. You know? We, not ordinarily in, in the old games, there was history to that theoretically, such as, you know, this was used by Alfred as a torture chamber. And even in, insofar as Resident Evil 5 Lost in Nightmares, we had, we had background to why there was a man hanging from a hook or that kind of thing. I'm pleased Batman mentioned that because I wanted to come on to this. I spoke to Michael Chandler from RE Center and I, I, I get, I get five pounds every time I mention RE Center. Ching. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what John mentions about a cheap horror trick, my concern actually is how much connection is there with the environment and what is, what is the point of these yeah, environments? Yeah, they always let you know what happened before and what is going on through the progress of the story and to what actually led up to the events and how these people are dealing with it or what's going on with these lab results and tests and how they are affecting what happened. It gives you more information to the backstory of the game. The gameplay feature that that Neptune and Oracle Dragon have mentioned that Capcom refused to employ now but was utilized in Resident Evil 1, 2 and 3 to actually enhance your connection with these surroundings 
you know, that, that use of descriptive messages and references dotted around the screen, attached to objects that were contextually relevant rather than just placed there for effect. These messages and descriptions provoke your, your investigation into the room. Imagine Remake without those sinister, sorrowful, sometimes peculiar lines that you can't, that can be sought out. One example I would, I'd, I'd quickly give, the second floor bedroom in Spencer's mansion, opposite the room with the lure of a bee puzzle. This has a bed in it with a, with a strange, thought-provoking description of footsteps running right through the bed. That Davy Redfield from White Umbrella Files posted a thread regarding that description, and we discussed the ownership of those footsteps, why they were so mysterious, who they belonged to, well, was it George Trevor and this was the room that he stayed in? I, I remember someone suggested that they might be Albert Wesker, and the reason the footsteps disappeared because this was part of his secret path through the mansion. Now, take take out that description, remove the bed, which in itself is quite quite a dull object, replace it for this generic, this spectacular horror gimmick, like a hanging body, which actually has no real value or relevance to the game's narrative. Now you have no deeply conscious connection with that room and no community discussion that furthers more interest and more passion into the gameplay. Yeah, because when you get in a game, you're expecting a very in-depth story with clues and information that you can find to figure out how this event just happened, why you got there, or is going on. And finding diaries of people that are getting sick or what they saw lead up to what's going on because their experience is actually pulling you in to know what's going on. And if absolutely. you don't find that, you're lost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for that reason, obviously, as, as we've all discussed, I really do hope that we have in-game files in, in Revelations 2. Yeah, I can agree with that. Whenever I saw the first concept trailer for Revelations 2, I thought that we were going back to all that, you know, environment details and, you know stuff that would give us not, not, you know, nice history, which was all absent from 6. But uh, as you said, uh, going through watching those gameplay videos, you just see people running around like grabbing this and running and do that. And though uh, it could just be where they're at this Tokyo game show trying to play it and see as much as they can before they have to leave and write an article about it. But it's certainly interesting. I mean, it's I like the idea of someone watching you on security cameras and opening doors and it's, you know, there's got to be a reason why TerraServe was attacked and why Claire in particular was captured. Frederick Downing's revenge. And apparently at the end of the demo you hear a woman's voice on the speakers. So it seems to be a woman who's watching them, but because we've already been, it's already been confirmed there's no connection to the first game, it's not going to be Jessica. Because I thought the only person who would have a, a reason to capture Claire could possibly be Jessica for because of... Chris Jiltner in the first game. But... And that's actually pretty interesting because it's true, Jessica had this huge crush on Chris, but Chris is like, eh, screw you, I want, I'm going to go with Jill. Go away. And there's a girl on the microphone. It makes me wonder, wow, I mean, who's the one that's on the microphone that's, that, sh- that you can hear? I mean, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of promising, actually. I would also add that a slight difference here is also the fact that Moira, is it Moira doesn't use weaponry. The, the Moira thing interested me because it reminded me of the Ashley gameplay in Resident Evil 4, which mm. I, quite, I quite enjoyed. It was quite intense. It's a plot-related thing that she doesn't use weapons. Something to do with a, a Burton family tragedy. Oh, not Barry, not Barry. Well, people have speculated that uh, her sister, uh, uh, Paul, is it Polly? Yeah, Polly, yeah. yeah. Something, something might have happened to her. 
but uh, it's just speculation. But it, it's quite interesting how they've made a very anti-guns, considering who her father is. About Moira Burton, I actually, when I was seeing the gameplay Revelations 2, I actually like her character. When she gets a flash, like, oh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm gonna be on light duty. Like, I love her attitude. Like, I love the way she is. Her attitude is pretty awesome. And, and also regarding the Barry Burton incident, I mean, the fact that Barry Burton is in the game actually makes me excited. Or maybe they'll run into him somewhere in the cell. I mean, maybe he'll help him with something. I mean, that's just what I am thinking is gonna go on. That's gonna happen with Barry Burton. <laughs> I think Barry will play a big role in it. This is me. I remember reading an article uh, back when Revelations first came out for the 3DS that they wanted to do DLC with Barry, but they didn't have room for it. Maybe this was what they were wanting to do. I think he'll rock up halfway through, just exactly the same as Chris did in Code Veronica. I don't think he'll have a partner either. I think it'll be one player when Barry turns up, and I think that'll be the reason why the game itself is not online co-op. Because the Barry segments are possibly one player only. She needs to be scaling the mountain like Chris, and then I'm here to rescue my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it did not, doesn't quite have the figure for it, does it? Because this is set in 2011 as well, so Chris theoretically should be available, but apparently. Roger Craig Smith said he's not been contacted at all about this game. So, Oh, that's interesting because, you see, we're all speculating about the gameplay and I was going to make the point that we, we've we had very few details about the actual official informational presentation have we released. And so I was going to ask you, were you expecting, like me, to have a lot more specific information and presentation on the game? Yeah, considering... You know, TGS was the big reveal of the game, and it's been in development for so long. I thought they'd show a lot more of it than they uh, they actually have done. I, I would just like to see more interaction with the environment and more link between the player and that environment that from that, you know, provokes debate and interest. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Capcom has said it's going to be more horror-orientated, so we'll just have to wait and see. I was going to say that as a speculation mounts, we've got, it's an island, perhaps it's Alex Wesker's island. I don't think it can be Alex Wesker's island because he disappeared from that island in about 2006, just before Spencer died. Unless he's buggered off and come back five years later, I can't see it being him. Mm. It's interesting, I mean, again, it goes back to why Terrasave have been kidnapped. Have they been kidnapped for the sake of taking part in someone's sort of sick and twisted game with all these camera recordings or have they been picked there to be guinea pigs for test subjects for the afflicted or whatever these new enemies are called just don't know i think we're just looking at an, uh, another original villain uh, and what, what will most likely be another one-off side story yeah i i've to me, i don't know what others think to me with every single one-off side story it's almost waters the series down it's you know it's stretching the series thinner and thinner Story-wise, we've been going sideways ever since Resident Evil 5. We haven't gone forward at all. I'm thinking that possibly the reason that Capcom is releasing Resident Evil Revelations 2 and the remake of HD, and when they get that feedback, Resident Evil 7 possibly might be survival horror again. Well, that's interesting because the producers of Revelations 2 were interviewed at TGS, and they were asked why this game is called Resident Evil Revelations 2 when it has no apparent connection to the first game. And apparently they've said... The main numbered Resident Evil games are going to be still more action orientated, and yeah. the Revelations games are aimed at the old school fans who want more traditional survival horror. Still, if that's how it's going to be, it, to me it's still quite a pale imitation of what survival horror really should be. <laughs> no. No. Oh, 
And now for a call in from Crimson Head Elder resident Vito. At last, we have confirmation that Resident Evil Revelations 2 is in development. It will mark the playable return of Claire Redfield, also have the playable introduction of Moira Burton, one of the daughters of Barry, who we can safely assume will also be playable. God damn it, finally! The biggest question among fans since the reveal is who will be the main villain, and many of you are assuming, or rather hoping, it's Alex Wesker. But I don't know guys, I think there's a bigger fish to fry. Since this game is set between 5 and 6, and since there's not a single fucking mention at all, as far as I can remember, of Tricell in 6, it just makes perfect sense to have them one last time in a game to close their storyline. Especially since this is a sequel to a game they were in. Bring back Raymond. Bring back Jessica. They were great characters, they were interesting, I want them back. The introduction of Alex Wesker is important, but in my opinion, a bigger plotline to close off is the need to close Trisel, and this game is the perfect opportunity to do so. I would like to hear your opinions about Capcom's release schedule. <laughs> they hate me. I will have to wait a month to play this game, because there's absolutely no fucking way I'm going to buy the episode. Nope, sorry Capcom. Not gonna fucking happen. Are you going to buy the episodes or are you going to buy the retail release? One month after everyone else starts playing. Honestly, it, it was unbelievable what he said. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I agree in the sense that I hope they introduce Alex Wesker into the game because it, 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 it does say, say, say you face between Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6. Perhaps Alex Wesker might play a role in it. There's a female voice on when when they're like in the in the game of revelations 2 and there, like i said there was speculation that they didn't know whether alex wesker was a boy or a girl and what, what and I, said, I said this before what happens if alex wesker is actually a girl and the voice that you're hearing on that microphone in revelations 2 is actually alex wesker well i i don't have an issue either way on the obviously on the on the, on the gender situation i think it would be intriguing to have a very strong female uh, antagonist because I don't Ada Wong always threatened to become an antagonist but didn't really you know make that distinct and, and purposeful uh, crossover to, to, to really to either side I think Batman hasn't he has, has very swiftly put to an end any Alex Wesker speculation that the timeline doesn't allow for Alex Wesker to be located on on the island at that point in time and also the, the, the other issue as well as the as to the release the you know the release schedule and it being an episodic release form okay this is kind of a little problem that i have if you want to get the episodes before everybody else you have to pay an extra 24 dollars now ac- according to what Vito said in his recording perhaps capcom will release a copy next uh, a month after it comes out with the episodes in it you know, and of course, it's okay. It's going to cost extra money to buy the episodes. I mean, but if you're looking at tight budget, it's actually very tough. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's a creative idea in a sense, but at the same time, it's going to cause a lot of uh, certain controversies with people. 
I think that if it were something that was going to catch on and be more in demand from, from the players out there, I think that more of the larger franchises would have taken it on board by now. To, to, be, to me, it feels almost more just like another Capcom gimmick. Yeah, it does. It actually does feel like a gimmick of Capcom's, you know, honestly. You know, but I guess for me, if standing, I'm thinking I'm, I'm probably going to end up buying the game itself and probably just buy, paying the extra $24 for the episodes. Honestly, that's what I'm thinking of doing. When I get a game, I want to immerse myself into it as one whole experience rather than, you know, these little, these, these little mini chunks, these little mini games that almost feel as if once you've completed one episode, it's done and dusted, it's almost over with, as if you can't then, you know... Um, it, to me, it doesn't kind of inspire or want to provoke backtracking. Besides the point of it being broken down into episodes and you have to pay for it, that which is pointless considering they did the exact same thing with Raccoon City, Operation Raccoon City. I want the whole game. I would wait to get the entire game instead of having to yeah. pay for this, 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 and this, and then have to pay an extra few dollars. Mm. Just give me a whole game with everything on it, and I'm set. Yeah, well, I, I personally don't really think it even works in the video game genre. They're taking something effectively from, from television and shoehorning it into video games, and I, I just don't think it works. Enemies from Revelations 2, anything particularly that jumps out? I think they'll look pretty good. So they're the afflicted because Capcom seems to almost have this problem with calling a zombie a zombie. We had the, the, this situation in, in Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6. And it's almost that they're, they're going to choose anything other than the word zombie. And, and how different, and that's going to maybe be interesting, how different are these afflicted going to be compared to Ganando's or Magini? Yeah. What, what did we get in Resident Evil 6? I can't even remember now. Have you mentioned the fact that in the trailer there actually shows a zombie, and then in the game there is no zombies? Oh, they've pulled another Revelations trailer on us, have they? I didn't. Yeah, at, the, at the end of the concept trailer, it's, it's a close-up oh, of, of, of a zombie's face, and it looks really creepy. It's like the the cover from RE2, where it's like half a zombie's face, and I thought yes. it looked really good. You know, they're not even in the game. Yeah, it's true. I saw that too. The thing that scared me about these zombies as well is that these things can actually climb freaking ladders and open doors and run at you. It's like, what the hell? So then that raises a question. Are we saying that the afflicted are the result of what happens to the people whose green bracelets turn red? Or are, 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 have we got perhaps zombies that are those in the afflicted or something separate? That's a good yeah, I'm point. not sure. I, I, I know that the, the, bra- the bracelet thing changes due to fear or something. So it's green and then it goes to uh, orange and then red. Um, but I don't really know what happens when it gets to red. Um, I don't know if it's like a health gauge kind of thing. Maybe when you're on red, you, you get hurt easier or something. I don't. Or maybe you tr- or you maybe have a higher chance of turning into one of those zombies and losing your senses as well. I mean, because it turns red. That can well, be another thing that might happen too. Well, initially I thought it was. I don't know what, what you you think, US Command. Initially, I thought it was a warning. Literally, just you know, once the virus had taken hold, it was you know almost like a leper bell. Yeah, I thought it was something similar to like Dead Space. Like you got the big green bar on your back, and if you're halfway down, it's yellow, and you have to die, it's red. I thought it was gonna be like a health case. You just gotta mash a button, and then, you know, pull, you know, Claire looks at it to see what her health is at. That's what I yeah. thought it was gonna be. Yeah. I actually watched a game GameSpot video though, and, and the guy on it said that he spoke to the the director, and it is um apparently a fear gauge. 
So it's kind of, everybody played the thing on PS2 where your teammates get paranoid and stuff and then they freak out and run. Well, it's kind of like that. No, but that did remind me of it. I don't know if anyone's played Eternal Darkness. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because there, because the, the, there's aspects of fear in in that, isn't there? And and, and trying to keep your sanity. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the same thing, I think. I'm not quite sure how that work in terms of the actual storyline progression. Because if Claire's wearing one, you wouldn't want her to necessarily be infected. Because they've done that, they've done that route a few times. Well, exactly. And at one point during the gameplay, you can see the Claire's uh-uh wristband is actually orange. So unless she gets infected or something, then. Oh, okay. So perhaps, so, perhaps it acts like Sting, then, from Lord of the Rings. See, the thing is, I can get, in terms of the actual narrative I, 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 and virology, I can understand a timer being on it in terms of uh, what you, which you had in Outbreak, uh, a countdown to viral infection. But that's non-canon, could, though, isn't it? The actual the countdown uh, timer. Of course. Oh, is it just a gameplay mechanic? It's just a gameplay mechanic, Okay, yeah. But in terms of fear, are we saying that an individual's fear is going to affect their the actual the, the virus overtaking their body? That's what I'm thinking. Or oh, it could be something like when you're on red, if you get hit, then it's going to hurt you a lot more. And if you're on green, you get hit. Maybe when they get closer to you or something, they can, <laughs> they can hit you more. But what I'm saying is, it's sorry if I'm misunderstanding it, in the concept trailer, if, depending on whether the bracelets were orange or red, it was showing different stages of zombie transformation. That's what I picked up from it. Yeah, I, if you notice, as the trailer goes further along, they descend more into madness, so they're getting more freed. So the the, the colour's going green, red, uh, green, orange, red. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was more to do with, he- with, with physical deterioration. So as the virus is taking them over, and as they're turning in more into zombies, thus the, the in- that's more an indication than the bracelet. You're, yeah. you're, you're thinking maybe something different. Yeah, I'm thinking it's a, like a fear factor kind of thing. Okay. Like. That would be a creative idea if it was a fear factor. It had to do with an infection. Yes. I mean, these ideas sound really, really good. I mean... I wonder which one Calvin will actually go with, though. That's the question that I have. So, the afflicted, any specific details we've got on these guys? Well, it's is it another new virus? How were they created? I bet it is. They, they look more like Silent Hill, don't they? With a, they've kind of got far, far more deformed. Yeah, I like the design. You're saying there's a lot more in terms of comparing them with past enemies that mm. haven't been zombies. I do like them. Yes. And they don't like bright lights. Apparently, apparently you can drive them off with Moira's flashlight. Perhaps it could be it could be a link to the leech from Zero. I mean, if you look at the gameplay of Resident Evil Zero and Revelations Two, it's kind of the same because you have a partner. You got to switch with that partner, and they don't like light. Just to simulate to the leeches in Resident Evil Zero, it might be kind of a correlation between the remake of Zero and this one together. Oh, well, touching on that, Albert, do you think that we're going to get puzzles and going on an extension dependent on changing to particular characters? I will be taken aback if there are puzzles in this game and, as I say, puzzles that one has to think in terms of which character can do what. Somehow in my gut, I feel that in Revelations 2, they're actually going to be putting puzzles in the game. I don't know, it's just a gut feeling that I got. Yeah, but going back to my point that the gameplay that I've seen so far doesn't excite me because it looks very linear and very straightforward. Have we seen anything in the gameplay to suggest there is anything other than that? I did see a puzzle during the gameplay, which, but it was a very basic one. And it was where Claire, uh, they're looking for a key, and Claire has to find the key, and she switches to Moira to, to shine the torch up onto a tank, and then you have to switch back to Claire to shoot the key off the tank and it drops down. That That is a puzzle, I suppose. Certainly more of a puzzle than you've got in RE5 or almost Yeah, RE4. exactly. But look, look at the uh, the universal praise, I think, that the that Silent Hill's got for their puzzle. 
I wasn't sure whether to mention this. I'll be very quick. That demo, on the face of it, every almost everything in that demo is, is very generic and has been used before. The story is almost a ripoff of Sweet Home. There isn't really anything that you can bring up that hasn't already been seen in either a past Silent Hill game or a horror type film. If you haven't seen, you know, if you haven't already seen The Ring or played Silent Hill 2. And I was thinking, with all that generic, unoriginal stuff, even the little thing in, in, in the sink, Okay, it, it's very freaky at first, but it's no different to what you haven't seen before. But it works so well. It, the way that it's all put together, it works so well. That's what Resident Evil should be. And if that is a success, then Capcom have no excuse to not embrace these aspects. I love the demo. Um, I thought they were maybe, because Silent Hill is a third-person game, I thought this was just a teaser in first person and they're going to go back to third person, but they've showed another trailer now, which is also in first person. As someone who bangs on about first person, I didn't even notice that it was first person. It, it was that I was so engrossed yeah. in what I was watching. And now the, now the fact that the second demo has come out is in first person, I don't really care now, just stay in first person because they did so well. It was incredible. I mean, well, then again, what do you expect from Hideo Kojima, man? Hideo Kojima is one of the top video game designers out there. And then you got Benicio Del Toro also doing it. I mean, come on. It was, it's incredible. I'm freaking excited for that damn game, to be honest with you. Well, now that second trailer you mentioned, it was uh, about, was this was an earlier concept of what PT was originally supposed to be like, and they were just showing it, what they were originally going with at first. Uh, that's a shame. <laughs> no, another, another Hookman, because that's interesting, that's why actually it, it did, it did remind me of Hookman, that demo. It was, it was kind of like the Slenderman thing when that first came out, so, you know, I think it, it's breaking new grounds, and I think that's what Resident Evil needs to be doing, not rehashing the same old stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it made to me it made Revelations look very old compared to Resident Evil Six. Revelations Two is actually almost a slight step back graphically. Oh, it's definitely a budget game. It doesn't look like a, uh, a current gen PS4 game. Well, it was. It was all footage from TGS has been PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. PlayStation Three and Xbox 360 were not on display at TGS, according to CBX Freak. Okay, <laughs> so you, that's, you say that with a slightly worried tone, Batman. But again, it's it's all recorded off screen. We've got no direct footage at the moment, which is why it all looks dark. I think particularly with Resident Evil Remaster, that really does need to be taken on board at that point. I wonder oh. if, they, if they ever do a uh, another version, we're going to run out of rewords. It's Resident <laughs> Evil Remake Remaster Redone. You know, <laughs> just, as long as it's rehash. got three at the beginning, rehash. Revelations two. It's it's such a early stage in terms of what we know about it. So, if we ask everyone, what's their main hope and aspiration for Revelations two? Uh, we'll start with USS Command. Uh, I just hope it's not as hard to follow as the first one was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll second that. Uh, Batman? I just hope it's got a decent story. With, uh, and it's it's not as self-contained as I'm uh, worried it's going to be. I hope it has plenty of connections to past games. It'd be nice if we get a new villain that doesn't turn into a blob at the end. Hopefully there won't be any new viruses or organisations because we've got far too many already. Albert Wesco, 187. I am very, I'm really looking forward to playing Revelations 2, and I hope I'm not disappointed with what I see, but I'm excited for it. 
Uh, Crimson? Um, USS Command stole my line, so I'll have to come up with a new one. <laughs> um, I hope it's absolutely nothing like Resident Evil 6. <laughs> take take Resident Evil 6 and just turn it on its head. And invite George Trevor. Well, something that's been mentioned before that maybe a more minimalist approach would do this series good and that, you know, too many cooks by the broth with Resident Evil 6, it was too, too over, overproduced. And so hearing that it is a budget game and hearing that the main title games will be more, will, will take more of a forefront, I, I'm hoping that the game benefits from that and perhaps that, that, that more scaled down version will bring to the fore different aspects of the gameplay. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a more survival horror experience. There we go, folks. That's uh, what our panellists all think. For, for my, my two cents, I suppose. Uh, I hope, a bit like Batman said, less organisations, same virus. I don't mind T-virus mixing with something, because they've always done that. Like, you know, T-virus with plant DNA or whatnot. They've always done a bit like that. That's fine. But a whole new virus I, I, I don't really like, because it, it just creates too many problems in trying to work out how that fits with everything. That the C virus has got to be the ultimate example of that. Chill! Come on! Chris this way! Look for that mansion! Well, as uh, briefly touched upon there, the other announcement at Tokyo Game Show was remake in high definition. University praise is probably the best Resident Evil game next to maybe Resident Evil 2 and the original. Most people hold remake on the GameCube in very high esteem and quite rightly so. I have mixed feelings about the HD remake. I think I'm in slight minority because I don't really care for it. The remake itself, not the game. So I'm actually really excited that they released a remake because I'm a huge fan of the GameCube version and the Wii version as well. So when I heard the news about them releasing a remake, I was I was happy because the game is going to be running in 1080p quality and PS4, Xbox One, you know, and I was really excited. Now, when I saw the trailer at the show, it kind of pissed me off a little bit because it looked too damn dark. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism based on that. I mean, I'm pleased that we got Vito's MP3 recorded before he saw that coverage because I, I think that he may have had an aneurysm. I was, speak- <laughs> I was speaking to him last night and he is furious, but I, from what I've seen, it's just bad footage, bad recording. It's not the game setting. It's not, it's not a direct feed recording. That's why it looks so dark. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just, it's just recorded off screen. The orb would piss me off when I saw him. Like, what the heck is this? Are you using a freaking TV from the old times or something? Because, damn, that's darker than dark. You see, for me, I mean, I'm really pleased with this because every time I play Remake now, every single time, I always think, yeah, it still looks great, but it just needs that new coat of paint, really. Yeah. Do you think it does? Yeah, because yeah. the backgrounds the backgrounds in the Wii version, they look, they look blurred. You still get the odd ghost in effect. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it doesn't need a lot of work. It just needs a touch-up, and we've got that in this game. Fair enough, we've not got completely re-rendered backgrounds, but the upscaling has certainly improved it. I have to say, before I'd seen the upscale, I would have completely agreed with Neptune. My old eyes, what I've grown up on on video games, as far as I could see when I first played Remake, it was as if, you cannot get sharper than this, you cannot get better than this. 
having seen the upscale, you're right. It, I, I'm astonished, actually. I couldn't, you, you look back and you don't realize actually how blurred it, it really was. Mm. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not perfect, this remaster. There's a lot more they could have done with it, but I'm just glad they're doing something with it. Yeah. So exactly doing something with it. It, 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 it's come out of left field totally that they would do anything, even simply just re-release the game on, on another format. I was blown away just by that idea. So the fact that it's not on hard copy for most, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm very, as a collector particularly, I think some collectors in the community are surprised by my measured response. It, it, I'm, I'm devastated inside a little part of me is on that point but the fact that i mean who thought that we would ever see resident evil remake make it to that generation console and an hd polish i'm not even going to get too pissy about how good that hd polish is as long as it's no worse than the last game i'm going to be delighted i would say this though the the 10 owners of the nintendo wii u that are in the world uh, they've been contacted and most of them actually say that if you play the archives remake on the wii u it's pretty much uh, HD as it is. Uh, you know, with that, it really it, it significantly upscales it from what I've what I've read. I know it's a complete waste of time sticking a disc in a Wii and playing it with the component cable because you don't get the widescreen option. You still have to play it 4.3. And if anything, component option almost accentuates how poor the Wii graphics are. What do you think about that USS Command? Did you see the trailer of the re- the remake? Did you like what you saw, or did you not like it, or what? Did you uh, think? yeah, I actually really liked what I saw. Like, uh, when I saw, actually, like, I watched the trailer numerous times, so I can pause it and look at all the small details in the background because, as you all have already said, uh, it's it's you know, obviously the old one's blurry now when you go back and look at it, and it's just really nice seeing those de- more details bleed through that weren't. That I couldn't see on the old GameCube version. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's a no-brainer. This it's a classic game. If you're going to continue to play this game, why wouldn't you want to play it with the sharpest graphics possible? Mm. I'd be concerned if you like if you own a PS3 or Xbox 360. I, I, I'm really uneducated when it comes to these things, and you want to then upgrade to a PlayStation 4 or Xbox One. Can the game be? You don't have to. Do you have to buy it twice? Okay, now regarding that type of situation, what they have been doing with the PS4 and PS3 games, they give you a P, let's say you buy it for the PS3, mm-hmm. what they do sometimes is they give you a code that you can put into the PS4 version, and when you put that code in, it takes off the information you have from your PS3 onto your PS4, and you don't have to buy it twice. Oh, okay. But they usually put a code on it. That's what they usually do. I mean, that's what they did with Battlefield and other games, they give you a code. Good to know. Sorry to interrupt you, but for the Xbox One, you might have to just buy it again. I know some people have to buy Minecraft all over again. It depends on what Capcom wants to do. If Capcom told uh, Microsoft, if you buy it for the 360, you can transfer it over to the uh, Xbox One for free, then they'll let you do. They'll let them do that. But it's Capcom, and I don't think they're going to do that. Mm. Do you guys think of the, uh, the scrolling camera? It looks really, really good, honestly. I mean, I, I personally, I love the camera angle of the game that I saw. That I, saw. I really loved it. See, I've heard quite a few people complaining on the forums. People even say, saying they're getting motion sickness from it, which is just silly because yeah. it, it pans very, very slowly. And I think it's just a simple case of people have played this game that many times. You're simply yeah. just not used to it. Are you going to get it? I've never, ever bought an online digital-only v- game. I'm afraid I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to owning the, the physical copy. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in Raccoon City. 
There are outlandish reports of families being attacked by a group of about 10 people. Victims were apparently... And now for a call from Crimson Head Elder resident, Vito. I know it's a silly, silly thing to bitch about, but I really, really like to actually own the games I actually buy. I really don't enjoy digital. I like to collect my games. I think you're actually renting those games. You don't actually own them. Some cases that... Actually, games have disappeared from the store and from the player's download list. So those games are, are gone, just gone. <sighs> I won't buy the game. I won't buy the game. Unless, just like when Resident Evil 4 and Veronica HD released, the only reason I have them is because my father actually, as a gift, gave me a PSN card. That's the only reason I bought them. They actually were on sale too, so that helped a little bit. Anyway, I don't really want to leave with a sore note, so I'm just gonna say that I hope the rumored Revelations 2 actually surpasses the previous game and proves that both of these styles of the series can actually coexist and make the whole Fanbase happy. The Asian Biohazard Edition. It's region free, and it comes with English language and subtitle options. And it's only thirty quid with free shipping, and you get a free art book and George Trevor Mansion schematic. Do you? That's quite and cool. From PlayAsia.com, but don't get the Japanese version because that's only Japanese language. It has to be the Asian version. The only thing I'm not sure about is whether it'll have the files in English. It'll have the voices in English, and it'll have English subtitles for the description. You can always have your, your copy of Resident Evil Archives next to you to read the files. Another thing about the Asian version is obviously you'll get it a lot earlier than than when it comes out over here. You'll probably mm. get it at least two months earlier. I've just got to now go out and buy a bloody PS3. Anyone notice any particular highlights on the trophy lists? There was one particular highlight that really caught my attention. It's a silver trophy. You have to pass the game without using any weapons, just using your knife and not burning any of the zombies. You just got to stab and run. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because that, that, then you're obviously going to get a lot of crimson heads, aren't you? And just ha- then have your knife to only defend yourself from the crimson heads. Exactly. And then you can't burn the zombies. Like, oh, my God, I don't even want to try that. Honestly, I do not want to try that at all. It looks kind of, I'm going to have a knife and I'll be stabbing you. No, thank you. <laughs> not very easy, though. you got to take on a tyrant with a knife. I don't know what others think. Almost almost harder. Well, not harder, but 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 the tyrant's almost a, certainly slower than the Crimson Heads. Uh, yeah, uh, but that tyrant hits you like three times. You're going to die on the third strike by him putting his damn claw right through your gut. And there goes <laughs> your game. You better have saved it by then. If not, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say, I will be looking out to see the first people claiming to have done it on that level. Because hats off, you get my respect. That that I, I think that's a level beyond me. There's only one gold trophy, and that's for finishing Invisible Enemy mode. Oh God, no! <laughs> Invisible Enemy mode, no. 
No, and that that seems a little bit easier, but I don't know. The knife thing seems a little bit more. Difficult. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think it, to me, invisible mode is slightly easier than that. I was surprised. So that's not a gold trophy, bloody hell. It's a silver trophy. That's why I was like, what do you mean it's a silver trophy? What the hell? It should be gold or platinum or diamond or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's going to be more difficulty levels on the remake. Ah, oh, are there? I heard there was going to be a very easy mode. On oh, there, we, there we go, Neptune. Yay! <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a very easy mode. They have created some uh, some new real-time graphical effects, you know, like fog in the backgrounds, and they've taken out some of the old pre-rendered plants and replaced them with, like, real-time leaves that sway in the breeze and things. I mean, it's really evident in the... Uh, if you compare screenshots of uh, when you, where you find Forrest's body on the balcony, if you compare pictures from the... GameCube and the remaster, you'll see there's quite a difference in the sort of plant life that's around the body. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of things like that dotted around the whole game. So it'd be nice to notice the, you know, the little differences. Someone released a fake trophy list and it's a shame it was fake really because there was a really nice thing on there about collecting 12 of Lisa's dolls that were hidden. I like that. That's but something like yeah, something like that would have been a nice addition without yes. adding anything to the original experience. You know, it just gives you a new incentive to ins- explore the mansion. I mean, would it be so difficult for them to add some extra files as well, like things that can relate to what's already happened now, like to RE6 to RE5? Just yeah. you know, just add a file and add some information in there that, that can come back and it can all come in full circle. I think that that's doable. Yeah, that would that be good. But yeah, that would be good. Because it is, it's a good opportunity for them to really sort of get the fans back on board. I mean, you could find a, just like a, a letter from Sir Guy mm. or, you know, a reference to Spencer having a conversation with Simmons or something. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's plenty of stuff they could do if they really wanted to. And now, for our resident listeners, we have a short excerpt from the Crimson Head Elder exclusive interview with Barry Burton voice actor Ed Smarrett. Very, very famous line, and that was a close one. A second later, you would have fitted nicely into a sandwich. <laughs> I do remember some of these, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think now that you said Jill sandwich, I think that was a. I think that may have been a line that we did both ways in the session. I absolutely remember the Jill sandwich uh, uh, reference. <laughs> That's brilliant. We should now move on to our main discussion of the evening. We're going to be talking about Resident Evil Revelations. So now, sit back and listen to our exclusive interview with Michelle Ruff. Greetings and welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast with special guest, the American Anime Awards double nominated and SBJA industry award winning best voice actress the voice of Jill Valentine Michelle Ruff
corpses show signs of viral infection. Chris! I'm George Trevor, and I would like to welcome the worldwide Resident Evil community right across the globe to this very special, exclusive podcast interview with American Anime Awards double-nominated and SPJA Industry Award-winning Best Voice Actress, the voice of signature series protagonist Jill Valentine, the multi-talented Michelle Ruff. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Across the globe. Wow, it's so big. Michelle, for me and, and your thousands of fans listening across the world, welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Well, thank you, George. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Jill Valentine. I serve the BSAA as a counter-bioterror operative. We've lost contact with Chris. And I've gone into the heart of the storm to find him. minutes since Chris and Jessica dropped off the radar. Well, the interpolation from their last known coordinates puts them right here on the ship. Where are you, Chris? Parker, we've got contact. Have these things got to Chris and Jessica? I hope not. It's time you learned the truth. Now, I must say, it's extremely kind and generous of you to spend so much of your free time with us tonight. There's a huge multinational Resident Evil community, tremendously excited and sincerely appreciative to hear from you. Not to mention, I must say, so to your thousands of fans from the many other anime and manga characters that, that, that you portray. Thank you. Now, before I investigate with you the experience of working with Capcom's production team and your commanding portrayal of Resident Evil's signature female protagonists, Michelle, when did you first begin to pursue a career in voice acting? Well, it's kind of interesting, George. I started out, I went to Michigan State University and I was studying um, production. And I was actually a producer for Michigan Public Broadcasting for a couple of years. And, and that was going to be my track. Right. And 
I had done a few voiceover jobs um, at an agency that I used to work at. I was the office manager for a talent agency um, in Lansing, in East Lansing, when I was going to school. And my boss got an audition in for a voiceover, a radio spot, and he said, why don't you go out on this? Huh? And I was like, I, no, I'm really not interested. I would prefer to, you know, stay behind the scenes. And he's like, just go and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went and I did the audition, and they ended up using my audition. I heard myself on the radio like a week later. They never booked me. They just took lifted my audition for the oh. radio spot. So we ended up having to chase down the client yeah. to get you know the money and all that stuff. Yeah. But that's how it it kind of started. So and we- then I, I moved to Chicago after. Um, after I graduated, thinking that I was going to pursue production hmm. work and the voiceover thing just kind of, I don't know, it just, there were a lot of opportunities for me and it just kept coming. So I, I always feel like when, when you're being blessed with something like that or when the universe hmm. is slapping you in the face with something, you yeah. just kind of go for it. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Fascinating that not only was it accidental, but this accidental opening into it. Someone who has now such a huge range, such a breadth of, of characters. Well, once I moved to L.A., it, it became a whole nother baby. You know, out here, it's it's much more competitive, and the, the, the industry presents a lot more opportunities. Yeah. Um, but you have to be a good actor, And I had to, you know, I took improv classes and did a lot of theater when I was in Chicago, Mm. um, Second City and Improv Olympic. But I have to continually study, you know, you have to study your craft. So, you know, once I came to L.A., I was like, oh, my gosh, this is um, this is crazy out here. (laughs) And the whole anime world and video games. Yeah. So I was actually going to ask you, did you did you have a particular interest to, to, to go into uh, you know, to go, go into that sort of anime mangle, was that just as accidental? It was accidental. I really didn't even know it existed. And I was just looking through, um, there used to be a publication here called Backstage West. It was just like a, a newspaper for actors. And in the classified ads, there would be ads for, you know, looking for voiceover artists for auditions or whatever. And I, I happened to call um, a company called Bang Zoom yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're a big anime company out here, yes, the yes. anime video game in L.A., and uh, I went in to audition, and I booked the job. Come to find out, the job that I did, I think it was called Ninja Cadets. So it was a, a feature film. Okay. It was their first anime as well. Like, their very first production was my very first anime, too. Oh, so that, I can almost imagine that working quite well, both, both sort of coming in together new. Yeah, yeah, it was, because we kind of grew up together, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And that almost kind of answers my second question, because I was going to ask whether you had any prior knowledge of the Resident Evil series before you took on the role of Jill Valentine. Maybe you had met with other performers who had voiced the Resident Evil characters. Perhaps you'd even been a, a player yourself of video games. I, no, I'm not a big video gamer. Um, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do play occasionally, but I did play the Resident Evil. I did play Revelations at oh, yes. um, this place here in LA called Lounge Live. Yes. They invited me in, and, and they like 
we did a podcast where I was actually playing the video game and talking to fans oh, online. Fun. Oh, fantastic. And I was so awful. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh, God. A bit surreal seeing yourself being killed, and, and it's your own fault as well. Exactly. But the video game, like, I hadn't seen it prior to that. This was a couple of years ago. It's really beautiful. Like, yes. the animation is really Oh, yes. And stunning. I... I absolutely these productions on another level and what goes hand in hand with that of course is that they, they do have to have voice actors and actresses of your calibre but these are fully realised characters and we were talking earlier about whether people may or may not be happy with particular people voicing particular characters but you will get passions and people for that reason because they are fully realised characters people you know yeah. invest a lot of emotion into them exactly it's hard it's hard especially well it's especially difficult with Jill because she's been voiced by so many other actresses yes. so to come in and and re you know start over mm. in a series that's been such a long-standing series with a character that's been long-standing yeah and such a signature such a signature character such as well. a signature character that I think it's there's gonna be an element of of dislike or mm. hatred towards mm. what I've done. I mean, I've had people to outright tell me that I sucked. <laughs> oh wow! The only criticism I've ever seen attached to anything that you've been involved with in Resident Evil is to Operation Raccoon City, and we you know oh. we discussed off there that's with relation to the gameplay, which has nothing to do with the voice actor or actress whatsoever. I've only ever been critical of Capcom in terms of the general principle of should they keep giving the, the, these main characters for that fully realised reason to, 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 to keep changing the VAs. Uh, but as someone who takes the series far too seriously and, and is a fierce critic when it comes to Resident Evil, I, I thought you're, that, that you portrayed Jill wonderfully. And, Thank you. you know, well, that, it's a lot coming from you, George. Thank you. We lost contact with Chris and Jessica. The signal was lost over the ocean. It's rather quiet, but time itself has stopped. This thing is lucky to be afloat. I don't think we're alone. Don't tell me that was the tugboat. Damn it. It's all a setup. We have Veltro. Vengeful messages from the depths of Inferno. This is the tea of this virus, and we are equipped to infect one fifth of the Earth's waters. Off! Get us out of here! Sorry, but I can't authorize that. A little too late. Spy has infiltrated the BSAA. It was all smoke and mirrors orchestrated by yourself. Unless somebody wanted this to happen. You think you'll get away with this? I already have, Jill. Did you? Do you have it? Maybe. It's time you learn the truth. We're taking this show over. Self-destruct initiated. All personnel evacuate 
missing crew. This is not good. Where are you, Chris? Today's been a very busy day in the Resident Evil world. We've had the reveal of Revelations 2. And uh-huh. one of the main um, outcries, there was obviously outcry of excitement and, and positivity, but one concern was, disappointment was that the developer who announced this said that there wouldn't be any Jill Valentine or Chris Redfield. And that was met with, with much dismay. And people hope that, that in some point uh, you will voice Jill Valentine again. It would be great. I mean, I was hoping that they would come back for Revelations too, since you know it would make sense that it, that she should come back, yes. but and Chris should come back. But you know, this could be it. This could have been my my two video game foray, and you never know. Even if they do bring her back, they may go they may go a different direction again with another actress. I mean, uh, you never know. Yeah. Well. I, I don't ever know until I get the call. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like nobody, nobody tells me yeah. <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> well, I mean, it certainly wouldn't be any reflection of, of your portrayal of Jill because I think what they've done with Revelations, it's not going to be a sequel as such. It's more a freestanding title, you know, gotcha. um, which I think will be for the more traditional Star Resident Evil games. Well, um, glad the fans stood up and said, you know, we'd love to have Jill and Chris back, but yeah. I guess, you know... That they're going to do what they're going to do. What Capcom is going to do what they're going to do. Well, so. I think I think there's no question that Jill Valentine will come back again. I don't think there's any question of that. It's just whether Capcom can, you know, in my opinion, see sense and, and keep continuity. So, um, yeah, well, we'll see. Think, fingers crossed that, that we'll be seeing fingers again. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, well, with reference back, actually, to, to those past voice actresses, to, to, to what extent and degree if any, did you feel it necessary to familiarise yourself with Jill's portrayal in the past games, Resident Evil 1 and 3? Well, it's interesting because uh, the director, at the at the original audition, I was like, well, do you want me to voice match her? And they said, no, no, just do your own thing. We just want to hear what you're going to do on okay, your own. Okay, that's interesting. And I, you know, I don't know how similar I sound to the other two, was the other two actresses? Um, I, I don't know. I was pleased that there seemed to be, you know, you didn't sound just a clone of the previous actress, but there was, to me, in, 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 in the tone, that there, 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 there was a connection. And so it felt... I, I, they, they were very particular with me about her character. It wasn't, they, they said, we're not concerned about you matching a voice. We're concerned about you matching the character. Yeah. Joe yeah. Valentine. So, well, I can know, hear that. I definitely heard that. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I didn't have any reference to the other actresses, which sometimes is a better thing because yeah. then, you know, I can do my own thing and bring my own take to it. But, um, you know, she was definitely very stoic and very unemotional. Like, I would, I was supposed to be extremely, like, if I got too emotional with the read, you know, Stephanie Shea, she directed Revelations, she would bring me back. Oh, that's interesting, because I can hear that, and that's what I enjoyed. One of our residents has asked a question uh, specific to that, where where you asked to play Jill particularly stoic, and... And it works very well. Yeah, I was like, 
I mean, uh, you know, it was tough girl. No, don't show your emotions. Don't yeah. give, you know, you're not giving the bad baby away with the bathwater. I mean, yeah. I was supposed to be really cut and dry. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's hard because I do emotional really well. Like <laughs> I can cry pretty much on cue. Yeah. Oh, okay. So to go the opposite direction and, yeah. and have to play that stoic, you know, unemotional character was, yes. was a, it was a stretch. <laughs> Lucky to be afloat. Take us around. Let's find a boarding point. It's been 94 minutes since Chris and Jessica dropped off the radar. But the interpolation from their last known coordinates puts them right here on the ship. I'm interested in that and in terms of how much information you're given about Jill. How how did the extent and depth of the character biography, how did the extent and depth of that differ in range and scope as compared, for example, to other biographies you would have got for, for, for the other anime and manga characters? Um, I mean, it was a similar biography. The thing with video games is, though, is that it's very fast-paced now. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I mean, everything is fast-paced. Even with anime, it's fast-paced. But I think when you're doing an anime, you have more of an opportunity to develop a character. Mm, yeah, yeah. With video games, you're in the booth, the client's on Skype, you know, in Japan. Mm. We've got a producer. We've got two producers in the booth, the director. You know, we've got a producer, a couple of producers on Skype with in Japan, Okay. Um, and everybody's time is really precious. So, yeah. you know, they needed me to, which is why I think I got hired, because um, uh, Just Cause knows me, Stephanie knows me, yeah. um, and they know that I can hit it okay. and not waste a lot of time yeah. getting to where I need to be for the character. So, you know, it's just, it's just kind of... Um, like I said, I think it's just with the video game realm. Yes. You don't have as much time to really delve into character biography. Yeah. So that's where your improv and your acting skills come into play. So I think we have to maybe, I have to rein it in and, and appreciate, as you say, the timing issues. And the fa- and, it, and it shows what a great job you've done. You've fully realised this person with all their emotions three-dimensionally. Um, but you're, you're, you're told very little, I, I would imagine. You're, you're told very little, in fact, about the character. I said, c- compared to, for example, if you were portraying Jill on, on, on the screen. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I get the short biography and then I'm given the scene and mm. I'm told what's happening in the scene. So then as that character, as Jill Valentine or whatever character yeah. I'm yeah. playing or whatever actor is playing, you you read and you give your performance in correlation to the scene and what you're given. So, I mean, did you, did you find then that that level of, of, of character detail hindered your ability to portray her to your satisfaction? Um, no, I mean, I, 
I would have preferred to to make her a little bit more vulnerable sometimes. Yeah. But um, they just, you know, they didn't want it. Capcom didn't want it that way. So, yeah. you know, by the third day, you know, it's like as you record, as you get get in, the more the more time you spend with the character, the mm-hmm. more I get to know that character. So, you know, by the by the second third day of recording, I'm getting more comfortable with her. Yes. You know, I'd like to bring a little bit more variety, yeah. but. You know, it's hard because you have to stay within the realm of what the, the what your client wants, well, and you know. So it was that stoic. Yeah. And like I said, every time you know, if I gave, if I got too emotional with the read, Stephanie mm. would say, "Nope, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> scale it back." Looks like you missed a few. And they're on this ship. 
time. Damn it! Jill, it's not stopping. Let this virus contaminate the sea. So this is the secret of Zenobia. And that's all she wrote for the Zenobia. of directions, did that differ in extent as compared to your manga and anime roles? No. No? Okay. Mm -mm, similar. Yeah, yeah similar. Yeah. How, how closely, if at all, would you have worked with the other Resident Evil voice actors and actresses from, from, Re from Revelations during the recording sessions? Well, with... I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you do is you go in, you have a, you know, you have a four-hour session. Okay. And you, re you record by yourself, so um, okay. um, you know there's there's the recording to picture because yes. they did uh, motion capture a lot for this for revelations. Yeah. So you know I spend part of the time doing motion capture and then part of the time doing you know other dialogue and yeah. you know battle stuff. Okay. Would you change any subtle cadence or tone to your portrayal of Jill? Uh, you, you, you've mentioned uh, about the additional emotion, um, which I would agree with because I think that would make it slightly a more realistic experience. Exactly. Exactly. Because I just feel like if a character in any in any film, in any anime, in any video game, anything, if there's not a vulnerability of that character, it's hard to find a place to like them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can like somebody better if you have some sort of a connection emotionally yes. with that character. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And I think that's why I appreciate a lot of the questions that we've got in have all referred to your, to your role in Revelations. Uh, not so much so to Operation Raccoon City. I get that, that that's no reference to the any comparison in, in, in your portrayal. That that's just indicative of the fact that there's there's real no narrative, a story narrative in Operation Raccoon City. It's an unashamedly you know all out out and out action game. If, if very quickly, if I can actually mention Operation Raccoon City, did you was there a particular difference in experience with that? Could you what I've just said with regard to the gameplay was that noticeable during your recording sessions for Operation Raccoon City? Yeah, I mean, Jill was barely in Raccoon City. Mm. Um, I just, uh, I think I had like one day of recording for that. So, and it was kind of minute. Um, she wasn't really involved with a lot of the actual fighting. Yeah. It was yeah. just part, you know, I think more storyline for her, like a setup. So, um, yeah, that would be the difference. Like, I just didn't really feel like I was even a big part of the game because I, I you know, mm. I, I don't think I don't even think she was a playable character. Well, 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 one of the reasons why, you know, there, there was a lot of castination in the community about, about Operation Raccoon City. It's a retelling of Resident Evil 2 and 3, you know, Jill, Jill Valentine being the main protagonist of, of Resident Evil 3. Uh, so we would have loved to have seen a lot more of you, but I think it's, it's done, done you uh, a favour that perhaps you weren't so prominent in that game. And everyone, when they think of Michelle Ruff, you know, we very much think of Jill Valentine, Resident Evil Revelations. Uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so give me a favour. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, how, how long was the full recording process for Revelations and Operation Raccoon City? Uh, did these two productions differ in, in extent to, to, in terms of the time? Yeah, um, well, Revelations, I had more... Um, there was more of Jill, so I was there for, I think I had four days on Revelations, and Raccoon City, I went in one day, yeah. and I recorded everything, like, in a few hours, so completely different. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Jill, Parker, you two are still on the case. What happened? We lost contact with Chris and Jessica. I've sent their last known coordinates to your terminals. The signal was lost over the ocean. I thought they were in the mountains chasing Feltro. But judging from their position, they must be... On a ship. I'll go back to HQ, take charge of the search and rescue. You two will be my eyes out there. After a change in gameplay style that the series took with a move away from the slow-paced, low-ammo survival horror genre to a faster-paced, action-focused experience. Significant numbers of, of, of Resident Evil fans, particularly those that had been loyal to the series in, in, in its beginnings, became disillusioned with the series, uh, reflected in the sales figures for these action-driven instalments. So after the relative disappointments of Resident Evil 4 and 5 and the Umbrella and Dark Side Chronicles games, Revelations heralded a a brave return to, you know, to the slower-paced survival horror, which had been so prominent in the series' roots. During, Michelle, during your recording sessions for Revelations, was there a noticeable pressure emanating from Capcom's production team, due in part, perhaps, to these disappointing sales figures that had, been, that had suffered prior to this change of direction back, back to the traditional gameplay? That's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, here's... Here's my take on it. I was in the booth, so probably Stephanie would get the brunt of that. Um, and she sort of, um, you know, I only hear mm. what's going on in the booth when she presses her talkback button. Ah, so you're, you're buffered from all the stress. <laughs> so I'm buffered, yeah. I mean, there was, uh, there. yes, I could tell, like, when I walked into the room that there's... Mm. There's definitely a stress to get the project done. Where the stress comes from, I don't know. Mm. You know, uh, as an actor, I can't get involved in that because then that affects my performance. So, you know, I have to just keep kind of keep a clear head. And, and it's good that, it, that I'm only talking to, you know, through talkback when Stephanie decides that, you know, she, she's ready to give me direction because when what happens is is in any recording situation the director you know you'll do a take and then you see the director turn around and they're talking with the producers and you're not really hearing what's going mm. on if they're saying man that sucked or what are we doing <laughs> but, so. you know but i can see absolutely it's going to affect your your performance yeah, yeah. Getting any of that. All he's getting is when Stephanie or the director turns around and pushes the button and says, "Okay, we want to try it again and do it this way." Or that was great. We're moving on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so if Stephanie doesn't look stressed, then then everything's okay. She, um, 
she manned the ship beautifully. If there was any stress going on, I didn't really feel it. Yeah, yeah, okay. The Resident Evil developers themselves, the developers of Revelations, you would have had very little communication with. I mean, were they just on a Skype? That, that, uh, right, yeah. exactly. Okay, okay. Exactly. There was a client from Japan. Yeah. Here, one or two clients, I think, and then... You know, Just Cause was there, um, yes. which is the American-based side yes. uh, of the Resident Evil um, okay. revelations. They, you know, they produced it on on the American side. So, yeah. So, yeah. no, I I would have. I just said hello. You know, nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, see you tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the most common questions fans ask is is the level of interaction that you would have had, not necessarily with the production team, but actually the the, the, the Japanese developers themselves. None. Yeah, None. okay, okay. Other Resident Evil voice actors and actresses have stated in an interview with Crimson Head Elder that the literal translating of these original Japanese scripts can result in quite peculiar sounding English sentences that, <laughs> that, that you know <laughs> that can sometimes make little or no sense at all in the actual context of the game. Did you did you experience any of these at all? I'm trying to remember. I think there might have been a couple. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even before we record, Stephanie's like, oh, I have to change the sentence. Yeah, you know? yeah. So the sentence will get changed, you know, in the same context, meaning the same thing, but just making more sense okay. within the language. Okay. Yeah. During long recording sessions, uh, would the portrayal of Jill's considerably realized character affect you personally in any way? Uh, yeah, yeah my voice is fried. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're on this boat and you've got all this stress and the, the, the fighting and battle and a battle to survive. And then I imagine when you step out that booth, is it quite easy to sort of turn off? Um, it takes me a little while to shake it off. Yeah. But it's funny with Revelations that uh, the client was there from Japan and they were only there for like a limited amount of time. Yeah. So I had to record back to back to back like I think we did four days in a row. Yes. And um, the fifth day, I had a, a looping job, which is a feature film. I had to go and do some voiceover work on. Okay. And I was asked to read a commercial for, like, it was just, like, for a radio that was coming off of, you know, it was in a scene. Mm. And I couldn't get through it. My voice was oh. completely fried. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, well, for, I think fighting BOWs on, on, on a cruise ship is going to do that to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Reva DePaola, who voiced Rebecca Chambers, told me that they, they were kind enough, uh, perhaps they didn't afford, afford you this kindness, they, they allowed her to do all the screaming and shouting right at the end of, of, of the gig. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of screaming and shouting. Uh, and it was just, you know, there was a lot of the high-intensity kind of action stuff. Yes. You know, it just, one day and then maybe another day, a few days later, it's one thing, but doing it, you know, four days in a row okay. at that intensity and that level, it, yes. it really, it fried, it fried my voice. <laughs> Ray Redfield, one of our members, has, has asked um, whether you feel you share any character traits with Jill at all. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Be careful uh, how you I guess, answer. I guess I can be kind of a bitch sometimes. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't. I listen. I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Jill Valentine. Um, she, I think she's been more than than reasonable, bearing in mind what you know what's been thrown at her. I mean, she has to put up with with Chris's clunky dialogue most of the time. Uh, <laughs> 
so uh, yeah. Um, okay, well, you are, you you answered that very candidly. Thank you. <laughs> um, looking at the varied and extensive number of roles that, that you've undertaken during such an established career, many of which enjoy, we, we spoke before, enjoy more episodic appearances than Jill. Does that instill you with a stronger desire to force Jill on future occasions? Um, yeah, it does. Because once, uh, it's like once you get to know a character, uh, it, it would be sad for it to be taken away and given to someone else. I would, con- I would prefer to continue to, you know, to bring her to life. Yes. Yes. Not choice, so who knows, you know? Now, I mentioned to you before, I take Resident Evil far too seriously, and, and, and it is one of my passions, but I am very mindful that, that when we have someone, an actress of your calibre, that has such the extent and, and, and the broad uh, range of work that you've done, there, there, there must be as many non-Resident Evil fans listening to this, this podcast as Resident Evil fans, just because of who I'm, I'm interviewing. So, looking at your other, your manga and, and anime roles, uh, do you have a personal special favourite from those? I would have to be Rukia Kuchki from Bleach, you know, just because she was such a long-standing character for me. Like seven or eight years we recorded her, Mm. uh, you know, that we recorded Bleach over the, the, it's the life of this show. Yeah. We're done now, I'm done. I put her to rest like a month ago. Oh, wow. Sad. But yeah, she's she would have to be my favorite only because I mean I love her character, um, mm. but but uh, she you know talk about a character or becoming a part of your character that yes. really like when you when you're that long standing with with something like that it really becomes a part of who you are. Oh well, thank you. I mean, I feel almost more. I feel more appreciative of the fact that that, that we've we've got you today because this is obviously quite quite a particularly sort of poignant, I- emotional sort of moment in in your voice acting career. Then, yeah, yeah. Rukia's Rukia's gone. However, the fans are all saying they're they're going to come back. Bleach is going to come back, but yes. who knows. <laughs> Well, this is my question. I'm not going to hide behind the members. Um, <laughs> if you were stranded on the... I had to ask something like this. If you were stranded on the Queen Zenobia and could, well, let's just say gently force one of those other wonderful anime and manga characters to suffer this nautical nightmare with with you, who, who would it be and why? Oh, it would have to be Rukia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's badass. And, <laughs> and she can fly. Ah. Oh. There, so there oh, you go. Yeah, the, the BOWs would stand no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Well, what w- one final question, Michelle, if, if I may. You, you've been so considerate to answer all of, all of these community questions. How would you describe your overall general experience working with Capcom's developers and production team as compared to experiences with, with other entertainment giants across, across your acting portfolio? Well, they're lovely. They're lovely people, you know, Just Cause is amazing, Capcom. I mean, I've never, ever had a bad experience in the anime world. Uh, Everybody, this community, the video game community and the anime community are some of the nicest people that I've ever met, including the the, the VAs. I mean, it's just um, we're really, really fortunate to be doing what we're doing. And um, I have no complaints. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, it all. Well, that, that's wonderful to hear, and I th- and that certainly comes across in your performance. I felt it was fantastic. Independent, it was your own, but but it did have have sort of shades, and you, you talk about you know that that was purposeful, and, and I thank you for that shades of of, of the past year, and I, I thought it was a wonderful portrayal. Thank you. Yeah, the character they they were very. That was definitely the one thing they were particular about was making sure that her the character of who she is remained so yeah thank you I, I like i said before that means a lot coming from you and coming from the community yeah well it, it was an absolute pleasure michelle a, a pleasure for myself as a resident evil fan and, and a pleasure for crimson head elder as a resident evil community website and all of our members to, to have this wonderful opportunity of articulating on this personal level uh, the, 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 those chosen questions. And I really have enjoyed this privilege of experiencing such an intimate window into your professional life. Um, Thanks, Mark. You guys can uh, connect with me on my Facebook page. It's Michelle Ruff VoiceOver. Hit, hit me up there. I'm trying to get back to everybody. <laughs> trying to answer trying to answer everybody's emails and read all your comments and everything. So that's Michelle Ruff VoiceOver. We can finally reveal what happened to Terra Grigia. Yeah. The cost was high. The BSAA will have to be overhauled. The storm is gone now. But how long will it last? This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. And now, for a Revelations plot analysis with the Batman. So the plot of Revelations really begins in 2001, when Morgan Lansdale, a former military man and now advisor to the Global Pharmaceutical Consortium, campaigns in the US Congress about the lack of specialised agencies specifically trained to combat bioterrorism. By this point, the raccoon trials of the People vs. the Umbrella Corporation had effectively stalled due to the deep pockets and political manoeuvring of one Oswell E. Spencer. Whilst a viral outbreak had been confirmed, a majority of what really happened in Raccoon City in 1998 was still shrouded in mystery and rumour. The existence of BOWs was still a secret to the public eye, and the world at large were very mistrustful of both Umbrella and the US government. Lansdale was a charismatic and intelligent man. He knew that should Umbrella one day eventually collapse, it was inevitable that their bioweapons would one day make it onto the black market and end up in the hands of terrorists and rogue organisations. Thanks to his campaigning and his warnings, Congress pushed through the 2001 National Biological Defence Act, which in turn led to the formation of the Federal Bioterrorism Commission, or FBC for short. This was a specialised military agency with exclusive jurisdiction and biological defence nations or areas related to EU's interests and coordinated with the public health and biological defence agencies of other countries. Lansdale himself was elected commissioner for the group. Meanwhile, over the next few years, Montpellier Marine University conducted research via an unmanned submersible during an expedition to the Kermadec Trench. At 9,000 metres, a new type of super deep sea predatory fish was discovered. This creature displayed an unbelievable degree of mobility and a ferocity not usually found at such depths. Upon further examination, it was discovered these traits were down to viral infection. This new virus was extracted from the fish samples recovered and named the Abyss virus. 
its infection rate was over 99% if passed on by blood transmission. By 2003, Umbrella was dead in the water after Albert Wesker anonymously testified against the company and provided hard proof, thanks to their own stolen archives, that they were responsible for the biological disaster that destroyed Raccoon City. And Lansdale's projections were proved to be correct when ex-researchers and Umbrella employees began peddling virus samples and BOWs on the black market. Umbrella Corporation stock plummeted here in Europe. This dealt a serious blow to the business giant, resulting in its complete dissolution. The estimated number of bioterror victims has skyrocketed from hundreds of thousands to over one million. What Lansdale didn't expect was that the global pharmaceutical consortium planned to form their own global anti-bioterrorism unit, known as the Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, or BSAA. Three of its 11 founding members were named as Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine and Clive O'Brien with a fourth person known only as someone with a close link to Sheva Alomar. I should have seen it coming. It didn't take long after the fall of the Umbrella Corporation for their bioweapons to end up in the hands of terrorists. A new era of bioterrorism descended upon vulnerable countries, shifting the balance of power throughout the region. People in the destabilized areas soon feared another incident like Raccoon City was inevitable. As panic spread, governments of the world turned to the Global Pharmaceutical Consortium, which formed the anti-terrorism unit BSAA. Operatives of the BSAA were sent to infiltrate and neutralize bioterrorist hotspots, restoring safety and stability to various regions around the globe. By now, Albert Wesker had created an alliance with another pharmaceutical corporation known as Tricell and provided up-and-coming employee Excella Gioni with a host of information from Umbrella's stolen archives. This data would help jumpstart Tricell's own illegal biological weapons program. With the demise of Umbrella, Morgan Lansdale secretly harbored fears that there would be no longer a need for a man like him in this world and that the FBC would soon become irrelevant and useless in the bigger picture of things, especially with the emergence of the BSAA to come in the near future. Despite everything he had campaigned for to make the world safer, he now secretly harbored a desire for a major biological catastrophe to occur, a repeat of Raccoon City, so that he could show the watching world that the FBC had the ability not only to clean up such disasters, but that they would need even more power and authority in order to do so better in the future. After studying Umbrella's data through Excella, Tricell now wished to monopolize the marine biological weapons market and approached Lansdale as a global pharmaceutical consortium officer to get them access to the Abyss virus. They wished to splice it with the T-virus in order to create a devastating new weapon. Lansdale saw the potential in this idea to be the key to showing the world that bioterrorism is still a very real threat despite the demise of Umbrella. Tricell provided support of their research branch and Lansdale supplied his own research team with them being under the guise of working experimentally to create countermeasures to possible future bioweapon attacks. Because of his public position of authority, the alliance between Lansdale and Tricell is kept secret. Clinical trials begin and humans are infected and become ooze. Antibodies will be extracted from the subjects in a bid to work on a vaccine. And by 2004, the T-Abyss virus is perfected. The researchers working for Lansdale begin to doubt that they're actually working for the prevention of biohazard outbreaks and that they may have inadvertently just created a new doomsday weapon. This sunny and idyllic Mediterranean coast was the site of one of the world's greatest structures. 
It took a full 11 years to finish constructing the world's first Aquapolis, the floating city of Terra Grigia. A sustainable metropolis operating on a massive solar energy matrix and equipped with the latest green technologies. Never before had solar energy been used to supply power to an entire city. Although Morgan Lansdale and the research team sent by Tricell had created a devastating new virus, it would not be viable and they would not be able to control until they developed a suitable vaccine. The research team noted that they need to do more clinical trials for the vaccine research. Some higher-ups from Tricell suggested a man-made pandemic to create the amount of test subjects they would need. Morgan Lansdale agreed to this, as not only would it provide valuable data in their goal to create the vaccine, it would also create a large-scale public incident in which to make the FBC more popular and powerful when they dealt with the aftermath, showing the US government that they needed even more power and authority if they were able to do their job properly. With the world's eyes on the newly completed floating city of Terra Grigia, it seemed like the perfect target. Lansdale makes contact with an Italian-based terrorist group called El Veltro, who have been actively opposing the city's construction and offers them a deal. Cause a bioterror outbreak at the city and then let the FBC deal with it. This would raise the profile of both the FBC and Veltro, making their voice heard on a global scale. Veltro's leader, Jack Norman, accepts the offer, but he does not trust Lansdale and so makes sure that every correspondence with him is recorded. The means of dispersion? The cruise ship is equipped with a UAV. That is your delivery system. Very well. Now show me the goods. Bonafide tea abyss. No vaccine. Not yet. Yes, of course. A little bit of this could turn a city inside out. I think we're done. I'll be on my way. Who would have thought, yes? That the lowly terrorists would receive a helping hand from the venerable commissioner of the FBC. As well as the virus, Lansdale provides Veltro with three mobile cruise ships, the Queen Zenobia, the Queen Dido and the Queen Zemiramis, all of which were acquisitions purchased from Umbrella following their bankruptcy. These can be used by the terrorists as mobile command centres, and Lansdale also provides unmanned aerial vehicle for the group to disperse the virus, and significant funding for them to purchase BWs on the black market. In 2004, Veltro, a terrorist group opposing the city's development, launched a bioterrorist attack. They not only released a virus, but also several creatures, known as bioorganic weapons, further complicating the situation. This launched one of the worst tragedies the world has ever seen. The FBC, the world's leading counter-bioterror organization operating under the auspices of the U.S., was called in to direct efforts to contain the attack. The BSAA, a counter-bioterror NGO, which operates independently of the interests of any one country, went in as observers to assist the FBC. For three weeks, the FBC battled in vain against the monstrosities created by the biohazard in Terra Grigia and are pegged back to the point where they can no longer contain the incident. An FBC rookie known as Raymond Vester, a young man with a strong sense of justice, is appalled at what has happened to the city. He also believes Lansdale's behaviour is becoming more erratic and suspicious as time goes on, as if he has something to hide. And at this moment, Vesta may be a sleeper cell infiltrating the FBC on behalf of Tricell. Lansdale appeals to the European Security Council for use of the city's Regea Solis satellite, destroying Terra Grigia and all traces of the virus with it. 
Clive O'Brien and the BSAA are fiercely opposed to this idea as they could lose crucial evidence on how and why the incident occurred in the first place. But Lansdale is banking on this to wipe out evidence of his own involvement. He also knows the satellite will destroy the Queen Dido, one of the ships floating in the bay that has Veltro's leader Jack Norman on board. With Norman dead, no one will know of Lansdale's involvement in the Tangrigia panic. He also arranges for the virus to break out on the other two Queen ships, killing everyone on board and turning them into controlled infection zones. Yes, I understand, and I can hear you just fine. That is simply splendid news. Everything is in perfect order. Enjoy the rest of the celebration on the Queen Dido, Norman. Morgan, you intended for the virus to break out on our ship? Well, we've certainly been had. I'm not done yet. You still have an important purpose. The ship serves as a controlled environment, and the data on your mutation will serve a venerable purpose. The boldness of your self-absorbed ambitions is impressive. I am always disgusted by what you Americans can dream up. I will take that as a compliment. We knew that you could end up being a liability. So we've kept video records of all of our interactions. If they go public, your life is finished. You may do as you please. Use of the satellite has been approved. The new virus will be completely eradicated. You bastard! <laughs> <laughs> Full soon shall thou be where thine eye shall answer make to thee of this, seeing the cause which raineth down the blast. The surviving FBC agents evacuate the city, including Parker Luciani, Jessica Sherawa, another possible tricell sleeper agent, and Raymond Vester. Parker and Jessica are so disgusted by Lansdale's actions and handling of the Terragrigia incident that they will later transfer to the BSAA. Meanwhile, Jack Norman and his Veltro team are sinking the Queen Dido to the bottom of the ocean. They are trapped, but yet still alive. Norman swears revenge, and they are forced to inject the T-Abyss virus over the course of the next year in order to try and survive. One by one, the Veltro members will all fall to mutation and death, but Norman's sheer will to gain revenge over Lansdale keeps him alive somehow. is already deep below the sea. There's no escape, no chance of survival. Unless... Shall there be rest? We rise from the dead 
Our spirit callous and immutable force. <laughs> Our interactions are right in here. We shall become guardians of the truth for as many years as it may take. Tricell's research team secure the infected Queen Zenobia and Semiramis and set up base there, using the infected crew for research purposes in their ever-going quest to create a vaccine. Each ship is now a controlled infection zone for research data collection, and over the course of the next year they will continue work on a vaccine using data from the live test subjects on each ship and collated information gathered from the Terragrigia panic. Morgan takes steps to ensure that the Zenobia and the Semiramis remain undetected in the Mediterranean, as it is the only source of the T-Abyss virus, and the researchers stationed there are still working to create a vaccine based on data from the Terragrigia panic. Media outlets around the world began to refer to the incident as the Terragrigia panic. Following the incident, the FBC announced it has successfully disbanded the terrorist group called Veltro. It is now 2005, and a sense of calm and security is finally returning to the people. But, as you can see, the lost city of Terragrigia remains inaccessible, a silent and potent symbol of the threat that bioterror poses for people around the world. time that's passed since the Terragrigia panic, Jessica has become a triple agent and now works as a spy in the BSAA reporting back to Morgan, who is wary of O'Brien and his organisation. Raymond Vester approaches O'Brien with his reservations about Morgan. The two begin to come up with a plan to expose him, as they secretly believe he had a much larger role in the genesis of the Terragrigia panic than first thought. At this moment in time, they have no proof, but both seem convinced that the FBC leader has things to hide. The researchers on board the ships finally complete the vaccine and decide to abandon the Queen's Zenobia and the Queen's Miramis. However, when the vaccine data is sent to Morgan, he double-crosses them by locking them inside the lab and releasing the BOW stored in stasis to kill them all. This will ensure that only Lansdale exclusively has access to the source of the T-Abyss virus and its vaccine. By murdering the research team, there is no one left to expose him, and he has essentially betrayed Tricell by denying them access to the very virus they helped create. In the weeks that follow, strange carcasses begin washing up on the shores of a beach of a small coastal town in the Mediterranean, near where Terragrigia was located. These carcasses are globster monsters created from the infected Veltro members in the sunken Queen Dido, who have been ingesting the virus for almost a year now in a desperate bid to survive. Most of them are dead, and only Norman remains alive. Raymond and O'Brien begin their Veltro revival act by setting up a fake base of operations at Balcoin and Mocky Airport. Word spreads that actual copycat members and loyalists to the Veltro cause turn up to join the cause, believing the revival is real. One of these members is a man called Earl Brenvinko, who writes up a new Veltro manifesto. O'Brien and Vesta use various sources to spread rumours that Veltro is planning an attack against the BSAA. Jessica, a spy acting on behalf of Lansdale, warns him about the BSAA's upcoming investigation. This causes Morgan to panic, as if Veltro is back from the dead and Jack Norman is somehow still alive, he could expose Morgan's role in the Terragrigia panic. The FBC launch an investigation and seal off the beach area. They discover the corpses are infected with T-Abyss and that the source may be the sunken Queen Dido. Worried that this means they may be survivors on board the wreck that could expose him, 
Lansdale abandons the scene and quickly mobilises a search team to look for the missing Dido. At the same time, he orders Raymond Vester and Rachel Foley to board the Queen Zenobia to search for possible survivors from the research team. Raymond relays this info to O'Brien and they agree to launch their plan to expose Morgan. At this moment in time, Raymond and Jessica are of course secret Trisol agents, triple agents. Their goal is to acquire the Abyss sample following Morgan's betrayal of them. However, they are at odds with each other, as Raymond has a strong sense of justice that wants Lansdale exposing for his crimes. Jessica, on the other hand, seems perfectly content being Morgan's mole. Before their mission, Excella Gioni, in her position as a global pharmaceutical consortium officer, interviews Jessica about her experiences with the t virus. O'Brien orders Chris and Jessica to investigate the Beltro base at Volcoin and Mocky Airport. Before they depart, Jessica informs Morgan of the base's location. This causes Morgan to organise an attack on a base using BOWs to wipe out the Veltro member station there that he believes are real. Lansdale arranges for a freighter plane to take off from the Redicia del Monte airbase with a consignment of the new Farofello Hunter BOWs and orders them to go to the Valcoin and Mocky airport. This explains why the flight manifest you find in the game says the plane is on its way to the airport. It's already been there. Raymond and Rachel arrive at the Queen's Zenobia. Rachel sets up a fake dummy Chris whilst Raymond steers the ship off its intended course away from the Queen's Miramis. This is so Morgan will lose track of the ship. And O'Brien launches an investigation into the creatures on the beach and asks Jill and Parker to join him. I assume you both know that the FBC has cordoned off the entire area. However, in the past few weeks, a number of mysterious carcasses have washed up. I guess the FBC couldn't cover up a mess this big, huh? Anyone who knows what happened here is going to put two and two together. And that's why I've sent the BSAA in to investigate. had a few questions in from some of our Crimson Head Elder members in the forum and the first one's come in from member Zarls. Who was at the El Veltro base? Well the whole point of O'Brien's plan to bring down Lansdale and the whole fake Veltro thing was he knew he had a spy in the BSAA so he couldn't trust anyone with his plan which is why he never told Chris or Jill about it. So None of those people at the airport would be BSAA personnel because O'Brien didn't know who he, who he could trust with this plan. It's never been confirmed who they are, but I think they're actual actual copycat members of Veltro. When they've started spreading rumours around of this fake revival, mm. loyalists to the cause have just come forward and sort of played the role. Because I think you get a few files dotted around the, the base. And they're all quite authentic, and yeah, I think they're real Veltro soldiers. They've just been dug out of the doldrums. It, yeah, they've said, "Oh yeah, we're, we're we're planning a revival. We're going to meet up at this airport or whatever." And you know, people have just flocked to the cause, thinking the the revival is genuine. Because it does seem it is a very far fetched plot, with the uh, revelation after revelation after revelation. But there we go. Uh, the other question that uh, Zars has asked is about Vol- the airport, Vol- <laughs> Vulcan in Mocky Airport. Why did the route sheet state it was going to the airport, while in the CCTV footage you clearly see them leaving the airport? Um, because it's already gone to the airport. It originally went to the airport with the hunters and the uh, wolves in it, 
and the hunters, have, when the planes landed at the airport, the hunters have got out and run amok and killed everyone, which is what you see on the CCTV. Yeah. And then the survivors from the base take off in that same plane, and obviously the hunters still on board cause it to crash. Oh. So it's already it's already been to Valkyne and Mocky Airport. Good, good pronunciation as well, thank you there. Yeah, but, much yeah, much better than yours. <laughs> you know I'm rubbish at pronunciation. Anyway, <laughs> um, so the other thing, the 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 whole BSAA status, according to the file in Resident Evil Five, until the UN states the BSAA was just a civilian organisation that acted as observers, could not use force or carry out investigations. However, we clearly see them carry out investigations both in the airport, heavily armed, and on the Queen ships as well. Was this an illegal investigation? No, it was a gameplay device, so we'd have a game to play. <laughs> he asked about Tricell as well. We know that Jessica um, is a member of Tricell. Not many people would necessarily know that because it only came out in background images, wasn't it, and the, and the translation of her report. So is you know is there a link between the Plagueis and the T Abyss? No, not yet. There's no there's no there's no link at all because the T Abyss virus was completed before the events of Resident Evil Four. And finally, why was there FBC data in the airport, and how could the FBC bomb the place so fast after Quint hacked the computer? Oh God, you're throwing these at me. Um, <laughs> Just because he's panicking at that stage. He knows he's been cornered. He knows well, he... he's got BSAA people at the airport trying to hack the system. So he's right, I'm going to need to destroy all the evidence. What people can't see is that Batman's actually tied up in, <laughs> uh, in, in, in Neptune's basement. And, and unless he gets four out of five of these right, he's, he's not allowed up for his dinner. <laughs> Excellent. So, thank you very much. So, I, ho- I hope that's answered. I hope that's answered your questions, Zal. So, um, that's very useful to bring in. I have one question about Revelations that oh. I've never heard anyone answer. In Rachel's trailer, we see Raymond dressed up as a Veltro agent injecting scientists with their TBS. Is there any story about those scientists, or were they just there to make the trailer look good? Originally, I thought it was it was sort of misdirection from the promotion of the game to make you, the player, think that Veltro was real. Uh-huh. But it could also possibly be a bit of a story prelude and it could simply be Raymond killing off the remnants of the research team who were on the ship before Jill and Parker arrived. All right. Because there was a research team on that ship who created the vaccine for the virus and those researchers belonged to Tricell. And obviously, when they perfected the vi- uh, the vaccine and sent the data to Lansdale, Lansdale double-crossed them by uh, releasing all the bioweapons on the ship, and it killed them all. We're going to quickly just go around the go around the panel members and see what they all think regarding Revelations One. Generally, how do you think the the passage of time has been to Revelations One? Is it better than you thought? Is it worse than you thought? So we'll start with Crimson. What are your general views, very briefly? Um, Revelations One, I I enjoyed it. Um, some people don't think it stood the test of time, but um, I have to disagree with that. Uh, I enjoyed it obviously more on 3DS than on the PS3, but I still think it's a great game. It's better than Resident Evil 6. Um, it's not a bit we lost in nightmares, but I think they were going in the right direction. USS Command? Blackwatt Crimson said, uh, I enjoyed the 3DS version more than the HD 
port. I thought the HD port was good, but it, it was a lot of missed opportunities with it. That's our favourite phrase. Uh, Batman? I have a love-hate relationship with it. Uh, sometimes I play it and I think it's great, and other times I play it and I think it's boring as hell. <laughs> uh, I think it starts out promisingly, but it, it tails off pretty quickly. I prefer Resident Evil 6. Oh. Uh, Albert Wesker 187. I'm going to have to agree with USS Command and Crimson Head. Uh, the PS3 port was kind of, it was good, but the problem I have with the, with the 3DS and the PS3 version is that in the PS3 version, they took off the first person camera, and in the 3DS, it actually had it. I mean, I loved the game, I enjoyed the horror aspect of it, but I still believe that it was kind of wasted because they took off some features from the PS3 that they, they didn't have in the 3DS, but I actually personally loved the game a lot better than probably Resident Evil 6 personally, honestly. I, I loved it. And finally, George Trevor. Well, I have I have to agree with everything that's been said. I and I agreed particularly with what Batman said until that last bit when he kind of <laughs> pulled he pulled a curveball when he mentioned that game. But I I think what the 360 what the what the HD port did it actually extenuated some of the game's failings. So I particularly enjoyed the the game as a 3DS game. I really did. But I think particularly when I played the 360 version, it really drove home actually that it's only survival horror for a short period and, and, and then it kind of tails off as a game really, doesn't it? And now for a call from Crimson Head Elder Resident, Vito. Resident Evil Revelations. It's not actually my favorite game in the series, but it's not the worst either. In my opinion, this game is far superior than 6, 4, and 0, not to mention all the other spin-offs. I really, really had a great time playing it on my 3DS. It proved that a main game can actually work on a portable environment. In my opinion, the 3DS version is a far superior version of the game. Still, to this day, do not understand why the hell did they remove the laser sight. Couldn't they just give us the option like Resident Evil 6? I really hate the aim on their HD release. What is it called? Uh, crosshairs? Uh, I really don't care. It's it's bad. Just bad. I cannot believe there are still frame rate issues. What the hell, Capcom? Are your programmers really that incompetent? The PlayStation 3... 360, the Wii U, PC of all things are vastly, vastly superior to the to a 3DS. So I really don't know why the hell they couldn't fix this. There's also some sound issues that two of them are very noticeable at the start of Chapter Three. Really annoying to me. But the biggest, biggest complaint of mine of this release is the lack of extras. They only gave us two damn new characters for raid mode and only three costumes that's it that's nothing oh no 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 wait they also give us a new creature which nobody even care about they also made raid mode a fucking chore it takes forever to level up you only needed a little board they couldn't even implement that anyway 
frankly, the only reason I have the game is because it looks nice alongside the PlayStation 3 versions of 5 and 6. Well, at least, at least, this time Capcom actually released a fucking HD remaster on fucking disc. And now, for our resident listeners, we have a short excerpt from Crimson Head Elder's exclusive interview with the voice of Rebecca Chambers, Riva De Paula. even sometimes can throw up peculiar lines of dialogue which may to you seem completely out of context with the actual senior acting. You know what, um, I mostly worked with the voice director. Uh, I think she communicated with the interpreter and, uh, yeah. and, and so then she communicated with me. And she was really fantastic. I had worked with her before. Uh, she gave me direction here and there, but she really just let me do my thing. Uh, it was liberating and, and kind of super fun to just act it all out. Um, yeah. I remember her giving me tips on um, how to sound like I was choking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. I hope, I hope not from her own experience, her own personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling me, you know, put, put hands around your neck and, and you know, do this and do that. And uh, oh, was, I, I really get that's really method. So I, I, I actually grab your own neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you grab your neck at a certain point, it just constricts some of your sound. And, yeah, and yeah. she was really, you know, well versed in how to do the different screens because I had never done anything like that before <laughs> where I had to do, you know, I think we did just one or one and a half days just of the like choking and screaming and, and all of oh, those yeah. sounds. Well, I hope with, with, you, with the condition of your throat they were sympathetic and left that to the yeah. last day yes 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 thank you at the very end very end but no you just go in you do a day of screams and you're like all right that's just another day at the office yeah. it, was, it was so so fun but yeah people in the next studio wonder what you know what the hell's going on in there yeah yeah and also you you, you know you think about all these different screams and what does it sound what's the different scream between you know having your arm cut off and having you know, someone grab your throat. Like, how are these screams yeah. different? And really putting like intentions behind all these screams. <laughs> it's it's but it's really fun. It was it was a really fun thing to do. Oh, so well, remembering some of the things that poor Rebecca had to put up with. I I can ask you. So, Reva, what what's the scream for when a, a mutated monkey jumps on, <laughs> onto your back and bite bites your neck? <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. You got the right, the right to be a god. Let's find out with the Crimson Head Elder quiz. What do you know about Ouroboros? How was the T-Virus leaked? Why did it contaminate both the lab and the mansion? As well as a train almost three miles away. What can anyone do? What do you think you're talking about? You must know about the G-Virus. I don't remember anything. Who did I kill? What's been going on? What are you talking about? I have only one question. I will reveal what I know. The right to be God. And would the first contestant please step forward? What is your name? Batman. 
What is your specialist subject? Resident Evil timeline. Batman, you have five minutes to answer ten questions on your specialist subject, Resident Evil timeline. In what year was Enrico Marini born? Um, 1959. Incorrect. The correct answer is 1957. I want the month and year that saw Alexia Ashford graduate from university. She was ten years of age. Uh, July 1981. That is correct. Keeping with Miss Ashford, in Wesker Report 2, what is the month and year to which she was appointed as Chief Scientist to Umbrella's Antarctic Laboratory? Wesker makes reference to the fact that at such time he was 21 and Burke in 19. It's July 31st, 1981. That is incorrect. The correct answer is Monday, July the 27th, 1981. And staying with Wesker's second report, give me the exact date given for his statement on the heliport I saw the figure of Birkin, who had arrived earlier. It was a long time since I had last seen him. Um, July... July the 1st, 1995. Incorrect. The correct answer is Monday the 31st of July, 1995. And you can't keep answering July for the month and expect to get it correct. What was the year and month that saw Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine infiltrate the personal estate of Umbrella founder Oswell E. Spencer, only to find that he had been killed by Albert Wesker? August 2006. Correct. In what year and month was Umbrella's Africa Research Centre completed with Brandon Bailey appointed to director? August 1969. Incorrect. The correct answer is June 1969. Remaining in Africa, give me now the month and year that saw Umbrella seize control of the ruins that surround the stairway to the sunflower's habitat. Um, August 1968. Correct. When was Rebecca Chambers born? 1980. Correct. A fire broke out during the test for loading Euroboros fire onto the missiles. This required a temporary level 4 quarantine, of course, for the immediate area. But what was the year, month and day to which this incident refers? Month and day? Um, May... May 2008, I don't know the day. Uh, 6th of May 2008. That was suspiciously correct. And your final question, Batman. Listen carefully to the following file. I'll be asking you a question thereafter. One month has passed since I was dispatched here. I am astounded at the sloppy supervision of this umbrella waste disposal facility. It's not surprising this accident happened. I know I must die. I want to die as a human. Found on the Spencer Rain, I want the full date, the day, the month and the year again, of this operator's notebook. Uh, I know it's June 1997, but I don't know what the day is. 16th June 1997. Another suspiciously correct answer. Batman, after your ten questions, you got a total of six correct. That is a score that is just above average. And would the next contestant please step forward? What is your name? My name is Batman. 
<laughs> I'm Crimson Elder. Crimson Elder, the fact that you've chosen your profile name as the same name as our site will not carry favour with me. If anything, it will work against you. What is your specialist subject? Uh, Resident Evil 5. Crimson Elder, you have five minutes to answer ten questions on your specialist subject of Resident Evil 5. Name two of Resident Evil 5's four lead writers. Uh, Kobayashi. Um, uh, I don't know. The correct answer is Haru Murata Yoshiaki Hirabayashi Tosaka Takanaka and Kenichi Ueda. When precisely did Capcom officially announce Resident Evil 5? Uh, 2007. Now you're two years out. The correct answer is July the 20th, 2005. How many Magini types are there? And you must also identify them all. Oh, Jesus, I know five. I can't identify them. <laughs> the one with the exploding head. <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know the names. Uh, it's five. Let me just check here in Resident Evil archives. No, the one with the exploding head doesn't appear to be here. The correct answer is the base or normal Magini, Gatling gun, motorcycle, chainsaw, Big Man, Wetlands, and Giant. Can you provide the years covered by Chief Researcher Brandon Bailey's journals, the first one and the second one? I want the years that both these journals covered. Uh, 1980 to 1990. No, 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 you're, you're, you're decades out. The first journal covered the years of 1966 to 1967, and Brandon Bailey's second journal covered the years of 1968 to 1969. Quite straightforward. Identify to me now the only Umbrella personnel named in Spencer's notebook whose status is neither deceased nor imprisoned. I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clue, sorry. Yes, you and Ark Thompson both. The correct answer is Jenny Kay, whose whereabouts are unknown. Regarding the directions for use of Euroborus virus, I now have in front of me that rather overweight amateur photography enthusiast, freshly shipped from Sheen Island. My God, he must weigh in excess of 60 kilograms. What virus dosage does he require? Oh, why do you hate me? I, I don't know. These are hard questions, these. <laughs> Bloody hell. No idea. I, I don't even know if it's a number or a letter. <laughs> 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 Ten. <laughs> no, the correct answer is one bottle. Name five BSAA West African branch agents. Uh, Josh Stone. Dave and Fred. Well, Josh Stone is correct. Uh, just let me look up those other two. No, again, Biohazard Archives doesn't show up a Dave or a Fred. <sighs> Perhaps they're with the one with the exploding head. When and where did Capcom first reveal a short debut trailer for Resident Evil 5 featuring a model for Chris Redfield yet to be besmirched by steroid abuse? E3 2007. Oh, wow, yes, that, yeah, that is the correct answer. E3 2007. Identify for me now who authored Resident Evil 5's in-game files. I can't remember his name. No, the correct answer is Tsukasa Takanaka. 
And for your final question, I want you to give me the name of Resident Evil 5's head producer. I know one Japanese name, Kobayashi. I'm saying him again. <laughs> he is associated with being the programmer and or the producer of Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil Code Veronica X, Resident Evil Remake, Resident Evil Zero, Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 6, Resident Evil Damnation, and Resident Evil Degeneration. Now, I don't see Resident Evil 5 on that list. You managed to pick the only one that he wasn't associated with. Crimson Elder, that is the end of your quiz. And not a moment too soon. And you've got a poultry score of one. Would the next contestant please step forward? Here I am. What is your name? Albert Wesker187. And what is your specialist subject? Weapons. Albert Wesker187, you have a maximum of two minutes to answer ten questions on your specialist subject, the weapons of Resident Evil. Alright. As proof of ownership, what is inserted into the centre of the Samurai Edge's grip? Medallion. Correct. Which weapon available to US Stratcom agent Bruce McGiven during his Spencer Rain operation offers the highest destructive power? Uh, Cold 1911. Incorrect. The correct answer is the charged particle rifle. Alright. Identify the name of the main shotgun in Resident Evil Revelations. Um, I think it was the, uh, Remington M3? Incorrect. The correct answer is Wyndham. Wyndham. And remaining with the shotguns of Revelations... Appearing in Jill's chest on the second playthrough, after completing her campaign in normal difficulty, what is the name of this bonus shotgun? Ah, uh, what is it called? M3. Incorrect. The correct answer is Hydra. Hydra. I am currently attending the Amateur Photography Club on Sheen Island, and I've been sat next to a rather overweight boarding man with poor bodily hygiene. What is he gripping tightly in his right hand? A handgun. Incorrect. The correct answer is Metal Bar, because I'm of course talking about Andy Holland. Including your knife, how many listed weapons for both Claire and Chris make up the total available armoury on Rockfall Island and Alfred's Antarctic base? Sixteen. That is correct. I will be calling in the adjudicators to make sure that you don't have any available Resident Evil strategy guides to hand. <laughs> Staying with Code Veronica, what is the secret of the Gold Lugers? They are, they're made with real gold, and it's a 22 Magnum weapon. That is incorrect, although factually correct, that is not the answer I was looking for. The answer I was looking for is that whilst playing as Steve Burnside in the battle game, by playing in the first person and by aiming at head level, the weapon will fire a single shot head kill. Oh, okay. I want you to name five unused prototype weapons from the Resident Evil 2 beta, commonly known as Resident Evil 1.5, that were consequently dropped from the final build. Prototype rifle, rocket launcher, a desert eagle, a 
50 caliber magnum and a Smith & Wesson M500. That is incorrect. The correct answers are flamethrower, the unknown or unnamed green handgun, the spark shock, the Coleco M950 pistol, the H&K MC51 machine gun, and hand grenades. Oh, okay. Resident Evil Zero's Leech Hunter game will reward the mediocre player, perhaps like yourself, with the equally mediocre grade of C, but which below-average weapon, to match your equally below-average gameplay skills, are you rewarded with? Submachine gun. That is incorrect. The correct answer is hunting gun. Hunting gun. And your final question. Three gun cases are lined up on the desk of Raccoon City Chief of Police Brian Irons. Tell me, if you can, who built these guns? Joseph Kendo. That is correct. Albert Wesker 187, those are your questions, and you've got a total of three correct. Okay, awesome. So, would the next contestant please step forward? What is your name? USS Command. And your specialist subject? Raccoon City. USS Command, you have five minutes to answer ten questions on your specialist subject, Raccoon City, starting now. What is commonly seen as the catalyst for Raccoon City's major industrialization? The Umbrella Corporation's investing the city's building. Correct. Housing Raccoon City's prestigious university, and notably industrial in nature, give me the name of the Raccoon City district to which I must be referring. Sadder district. We do not accept incorrect localization errors as correct. That is incorrect, and the correct answer is Cedar District. In what year was Mayor Michael Warren elected? 1982. Incorrect. The correct answer is 1987. Raccoon City's successful tram and subway systems were first designed in 1969 by which famous brothers? The Cat Brothers. Correct. Prior to its destruction by missile launch, what was Raccoon City's approximate population? 100,000. Correct. Staying with that cataclysmic event, what was the date of said missile launch? October 2nd. Incorrect. The correct answer is dawn Thursday, the 1st of October, 1998. Uptown, one of Raccoon City's several districts, is generally defined as south which street? Innerdale Street. Correct. Approximately how many of Raccoon City's inhabitants were on the payroll of the Umbrella Corporation, and I want your answer given as a percentage. 30%. Incorrect. The correct answer is 40%. Name Raccoon City's largest river. I have no clue. The correct answer is Marble River. I want you to identify in which district of Raccoon City one can find the municipal zoo. Uh, uptown. Incorrect. The correct answer is downtown. USS Command, you have answered all your questions and you have got a total of four correct. So, would the next contestant please step forward? What is your name? Neptune. And your specialist subject? Resident Evil Dead Aim. Neptune, you have five minutes to answer ten questions on your specialist subject, Resident Evil Dead Aim. 
Name two of the three writers on Dead Aim, and I will deduct points for incorrect pronunciation. I, I don't know any of them. I, I don't know any of them. I couldn't tell you anything. Well, I, I don't think that's a laughing matter, your ignorance. No. <laughs> the correct answers are Noboru Sigimura. Oh, man, I've gone on about pronunciation. Now. I've got to bloody pronounce them. Junichi Miyashita and Toyokazu Sakumoto. Uh, I'd only heard of the first one. Who is the game's music composer? I don't know. The correct answer is Nobuoshi Sano. Released in Japan as Biohazard Gun Survivor 4 Heroes Never Die, what was the release date? Um, Hold on. Uh, oh, I don't know. 3rd of June 2003. That is incorrect. The correct answer is February the 13th, 2003. Oh. Who is the voice actor for Morpheus D. Duval? <laughs> don't know, George. That is incorrect. <laughs> the correct answer is Angus Waycott. <laughs> right. When was the debut announcement for Gun Survivor 4 Biohazard Heroes Never Die? A3 2002. That is incorrect. The correct answer is TGS Autumn 2002, although I would have accepted TGS Fall 2002. Dead Aim was showcased at E3 the following year, alongside which two other RE titles? Uh, Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil. I'm going to say online, but I think it meant Outbreak. Well, I would have offered you half a point for one correct answer, and I will be offering you zero points for two incorrect answers on this occasion. The correct answer is Resident Evil Code Veronica X and Resident Evil Outbreak. That can't be right. Resident Evil Code Veronica X was already... It was, was the, already out. Yes, but this was the GameCube port of the game. Well, I get half then for Outbreak. I said on, online or Outbreak. It might have been called online at that point in time. How many gun-type weapons are there in Dead Aim? I'm sorry. Five. That is incorrect. The correct correct answer is eight. Who is the Spencer Rain waiter writing to when boasting about his new cushy job on a luxury cruiser? Um, that is to his friend back at port. Incorrect. Oh, what? And when you say his friend back at port, is that a euphemism for his boyfriend? <laughs> no. <laughs> the correct answer is his brother. Remaining with that waiter. Right, yeah. What is his name? I can't... I, 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 I really couldn't remember. As you have been doing so appallingly... <laughs> On this, I am more than happy to give you a clue. His surname is a clue to his profession. Um, um, uh, Stuart Glass. (laughs) That is incorrect. Is it? The correct answer is Joseph Cater. Ah, right. Very apt. 
And for your final question... Jesus, yeah. Who was Fong Ling ordered to arrest by her Chinese employers shortly before her Spencer Rain mission, and what were the consequences of said arrest? Um, I can imagine she was due to arrest Morpheus D. Duval. That is incorrect. Oh. And if you had listened correctly to the question, you would have heard me say, prior to her Spencer Rain mission, she was ordered to arrest her own brother... And the consequences of these actions were that he was arrested by the Chinese government and executed. Oh, yes, I remember in the cutscene, now, yes. Neptune, those are your <laughs> ten questions. You'll be pleased to know you did not score zero because the adjudicator has confirmed that you did correctly answer Resident Evil Outbreak. So, Neptune, you have scored half a point. Yay! Half out of ten. Fantastic. And so concludes the Crimson Head Elder podcast quiz. Podcast file one winner with a score of six out of ten. The right to be a god. The Batman. Grump. And for those of you not from the north of England, that translates as the Batman is ecstatic right now. That concludes file one of the Crimson Head Elder podcast, featuring residents from Crimson Head Elder, the Resident Evil site for survival horror devotees. Tonight's podcast residents were, from America, myself, the Oracle Dragon, USS Command, and Albert Wesker 187. From England, George Trevor, the Batman, and Neptune. And from Wales, Crimson Elder. Good night, everyone. We hope to see you in residence at the site where you can post your podcast reviews and requests and submit your call-ins for File 2 of the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Our Halloween special featuring a world-exclusive premiere of a never-before-released or publicly-heard Resident Evil theme song. SAA received intel as to the whereabouts of Umbrella's founder. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters! Place of Umbrella's Demise.